0: Girls, boys, and everyone in between. I'm Scarlett. I'm Roxy. And I'm Marjorie. And we are the Red Resistance Podcast.
1: All right. So we've all seen episode five, season three of Handmaid's Tale on Hulu. What are your first thoughts? I'm fired up. Fired up. I think Luke is not a very good diplomat.
2: No, I would agree.
1: (laughs) But we will get into all of that shortly. Mm -hmm. Jules, What are we drinking first? So we are having some beer today.
2: Uh, This is from Boulevard Brewing Company in uh, Kansas City, Missouri. Um, This is called Changeling. Changeling Mm -hmm. is a dark sour ale. Um, It's a blend of a bunch of different dark sour ales aged in whiskey and wine barrels. What makes this kind of cool and funky Otis is that it's inoculated with Britannomyces, um, as well as a bit of uh, lactobacillus. If you don't know Britannomyces, um, you're probably not alone in that. It's a super weird native um, wild yeast. Um, it imparts this weird funkiness. Uh, a lot of people say that it has almost a horsey taste to it. Uh, it imparts this crazy barnyard quality to it. So I like, think like dried hay and dustiness, um, as well as sticking plasters. Uh, sticking plasters is fancy British for Band-Aids. Hmm. Yeah, so um, anytime that you have, have like... no a- idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh my god, that's yeah. awesome. Um sort of like when people say Kleenex versus tissue. Mm, Stick with okay. a plastic okay, Yeah.
1: Okay.
2: So um this beer is incredibly, incredibly sour because of the lactobacillus, um, which eats the sugar and produces lactic acid. Um so it gives it this like it's signature to most sour beers. It gives this rich, intense um like mouth or, uh mouth feel mouthfeel and that crazy sour tart note that you're used to um with sour beers. And then the Britannomyces adds that like dusty hay funky vibe going on with a little underscoring of iodine the color of this is deep vibrant red um almost like towing into uh, brown territory but the main reason that i picked this um, is the name changeling so um a changeling is um is an old european um fairy tale uh it's about a fairy child being left in place of a human child um, which I thought was pretty cool about the replacement of uh, of babies. Um, also, this reminded or the name reminded me of uh, there was a movie in 2008 starring Angelina Jolie oh, yeah. called Changeling. How weird is it that I was just talking about
0: that today? Was that it? Is, yeah. Oh, neat. Well,
2: what what I really was compelled about that was that movie was all about child endangerment, women mm-hmm. disempowerment, and cor- uh, corruption in the political scheme. So I was like. This Whoa. just seems perfect for today. <laughs> yeah. uh, and also I'm real sour after this episode, so uh, a sour beer just felt very very appropriate. So it's much sour. The spot. Yeah. So uh, so cheers. 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 Oh. Also this comes in at 8.2% ABV, so figured we could use a kick in the face today. <laughs> mhm.
1: Kick in the face. Thanks.
0: Totally. So, I feel like, uh, you know, the opening scene of this episode, you know, so you have Alfred. I'm sorry, I'm still calling her Offred. I know. Jesus. June, she is coming off of, you know, the knowledge that she knows that Nicole made it into Canada mm-hmm. as with Luke. And she is just literally walking on a cloud. Like, she has, you can tell, she looks positively beatific. Like, she has not a care in the world. Mm-hmm. She is so relieved. She is so happy. I don't think we've seen her so happy in this entire series. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and
0: it just all goes kind of like right to hell in the right. grocery store. Like, she's brought <laughs> crashing back to Earth with the news of, of Matthew and, you know, her pending baby. With- right. Right which way yeah, yeah, at was the end right. that's a different that's grocery the end? Yeah. yeah that was at that's the end. a that's a oh, different fuck grocery me.
2: Trade. God damn it. <laughs> But it's
1: no, like oh wow we're going there now okay <laughs> but,
2: <laughs> oh shit but that wasn't that was apropos that we're beginning the episode yeah. with yes. um with June standing in the grocery store and she is completely still with all this madness happening around her and right. then the other handmaids are coming up and saying praise be and a victory for one is a victory that, I for all about that life. and yeah. it was yeah. of matthew that brought her crashing back down yeah, to earth i knew though. it was
1: something but it was just the wrong interaction okay oh you yeah so it's it does when she shows up and it's just like full of drinking the kool-aid again and right back on yeah. and full of knowledge she seems to i mean i guess it seems like it's pretty much Common knowledge. Yeah, Common well, knowledge. Like everybody that this is knows what now. happens mm-hmm. and everyone knows. It surprised me when she first mentioned it. But yeah, June in the beginning was the quote she used was, May he in his goodness bless us with miracles, for we are weary and weak of faith. And I feel like after two seasons of watching June's hope of trying to get herself and then her baby out of Gilead yeah. and just watching her just get kicked in the face time and time again. It Mm -hmm. was like she finally allowed herself to just have this victory. Just feel happy. Just for a moment Mm -hmm. of like, no, we did a thing here. We just got a baby out of Gilead. And... To June's husband. Her child is with her husband in Canada. Yep. And then to right off of the heels
2: of when she said that, I was like, oh, the exact quote, I can't remember. But then she said, but wait, miracle. Maybe it's not a miracle. A
1: miracle is beyond human powers. I
2: did this. We did this. Exactly. And so to have that little bit of gratification, it did feel um, slightly masturbatory because it's like, yes, you did this. Yes, (laughs) we did this. But also, like...
1: Just be thankful it happened, sweetheart. Like, you can't control everything. But I think she's just trying... I feel like in a world where it's so at least structured to portray this faith in God and God is controlling and everything they do is for God, whether, Mm -hmm. I mean, Gilead's not, that's like a a facade. Oh, it's a bastardization of religion of the highest order. But it's nice to be like, you know what? There is something in their control. This is something, Mm -hmm. it's not a miracle. Mm -hmm. It's not out of human's control. This is something they can do and they can fight back Mm -hmm. and they have some power. And it is really uplifting, which surprised me going into it because for me, episode four ended with such doom and gloom. Like so much Like, shit. And yes. for her to just be, like, walking on sunshine in the beginning, I was like, oh, okay. For a second. Yeah. Like, June thinks everything's fine. Maybe everything's <laughs> fine. For a second. Oh, and yeah. even in the scene. So, of Matthew. But e- of, even before Matthew jumps in there and kind of rains on her parade, she starts talking about Luke. And you get to juxtapose the two different Junes that we're going to have to grapple with for the rest of this episode. Mm-hmm. So you have, like, current day... Happy victory, build a resistance, burn Gilead down, June, mm-hmm. and then you have pre-Gilead June with Luke and her motivations from the beginning to get her and Hannah out and back to Luke. She's got Nicole there, but wait a second, Nicole is complicated. Luke having Nicole is complicated, and we've all known it for all this time. But yeah. this June hasn't had to face this this part of her life and this part of and to have Luke just having Nicole now without june mm-hmm. without nick it's just it, it's complicated yeah. and we're gonna see it and so she starts to think about you get the flashbacks of june and she talks about when they had hannah mm-hmm. and just about his touch and how much she wants him no one and ever dies him. from lack of sex but they die <laughs> from lack of love and mm-hmm. she's starting to do her own i think we're starting to see the shift of her trying to justify what she did to get to where she is mm-hmm. and
0: if I recall correctly, like, you know, in regards to, you know, just how she was saying, you know, she, she wants to be held. I remember in the book um, there is uh, just a, a couple little blurbs about how they, they really are starved for touch. Yeah. Because it's hands-off the handmade until, until they're the needed. Until the ceremony. And even then, there is no touching. The only touching that they get are these, you know, like, uh, hands around their wrists and then these hands on their legs holding them in place right. and then a dick that you don't really want there right that's the only touch they get so I couldn't imagine having to go through life being that completely starved for touch and that's their existence right they just mm-hmm. they don't have anybody to administer a touch Unless and we're humans you're... we need it
1: yeah right and that's why she has Nick and you know, they don't technically, but yeah. I'm sure a lot of them do have the same situations that June had with Nick. Of, mm-hmm. And we got to watch her go through that. And the guilt that she, they alluded to a lot of it. It's hard to get fully in her head at that point. But we got the gist of it of, wow, she's just had sex with someone else willingly, mm-hmm. which was a big yeah, deal absolutely. for her in Gilead world to have sex because she wants to have sex yeah. and mm-hmm. to have that choice. But then to also have to deal with the ramifications of that choice mm-hmm. when she's got Luke in Canada. Mm-hmm. And so it's just... It was really interesting to watch her slowly start to come to this realization of like, okay, yes, Nicole is safe. She's in Canada. Victory. She's with Luke. Everything's great. Except for there's Luke. Yeah. And we get to watch June right. go through that. So, God. By the way, should we be calling Nicole Nicole still? Or should we be calling her by her I real name Holly? <laughs> <laughs> Half the time I call her Hannah, so. <laughs> but... I, I, I think it remains to be seen. I feel like we will have an mm-hmm. answer shortly in the next couple episodes. I'm guessing mm-hmm. we're going to get there. Right. Um, I was sticking with Nicole initially because mm-hmm. that's what June said. Call her Nicole, done. Fine, mm-hmm. we'll call her Nicole, June. And also we didn't get the Holly bombshell until the... Or not bombshell, but the Holly snippet until the end. What do you mean?
2: She...
0: wore in the tape, she talks... In the tape, she yeah. She tells oh, Luke... You know, yes, way. Exactly. Oh, correct. In In the really
1: Holly. Her exactly Holly. 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 Yes. It, it, yes. So... So Um, I think we'll go with Nicole for now, but, yeah, yeah, because of that end snippet, Mm -hmm. I don't know if we're going to be sticking with it. Luke might be like, Mm -hmm. fuck Nicole.
2: Right. Holly. Holly (laughs) because because Nicole is her Gilead name.
0: Right. It might be safer for her, too, if she has to go into hiding with Luke for whatever reason, because I I don't know
1: how much of a border that border is right now. That ship might have sailed. They've got pretty good eyes on... On, on all things there, going Luke. on, on right. Luke yeah. and which, this baby. Yeah,
2: which we get into once. uh Once we see Serena joining the council.
1: Yes. Yes. We we will get to that. I did want to jump over with. Oh yeah. So of Matthew and June, they're having their little exchange, and of Matthew's just her full on of Matthew self, <laughs> and um, <laughs> and June ends with just as eye roll and a bite me i love yes. that so, I love much. That so but, much what drove me crazy which was really interesting about the scene was i feel like even more so than seasons one and two mm-hmm. this scene and just in general season three is feeling even more so gilead feels like a police state like there are just yeah. machine guns everywhere sirens constantly mm-hmm. and yet season three The most police state looking and yet feels the least police state within the handmade interactions, June specifically, but all of them. They all seem to have this little air of resistance about them. Like they almost might be understanding that their position is a privilege and they do have a little bit of power within that position of... They can't just be sent to the colonies. They are a prized commodity within yeah. Gilead, and I feel like that tone is taking over all the handmaids, maybe at the behest and under the leadership of June, but yeah. it was just kind of jarring to hear June turn to her and bite me mm-hmm. with this guardian with a machine gun like two feet
2: behind her. Right, that was a very brazen move. I do like that you called them a commodity. Yeah, as they a are. Because that's exactly what they are. Um, and to see... To see um, to see uh, i june being so blatant and you know basically reclaiming her humanity by not doing the callbacks to of matthew who at that point looks like she's so clearly drinking the juice and might very well report back to matthew about her uh, about her causing trouble and thinking independently and just being so completely brazen was it was a huge yes (laughs) moment for me i loved that so much likewise
1: then we go back home to, to home. This place is feeling like home to me. No. We're at the Lawrence's house. And uh, June's kind of eavesdropping on them through the mirror. And mm-hmm. she's watching that. It's a tender but kind of strange moment no. where he's trying It was to, a normal moment. It was normal. a normal. moment. Yeah. Was, the, you could see there was a love between them, a tenderness in its you know, gotten off track. <laughs> yeah. It's a little bit walking on eggshells, but it was sweet. And yeah. he was trying to tell her she looked nice. He, he noticed that she was doing something different with her hair. Mm-hmm. And and he tells her, it looks nice like you used to. Oh. And so there's a little callback to they've changed as well. Yeah. And I think it's something we'll keep seeing throughout this episode mm-hmm. is this this change and how Gilead changes the people within it. Absolutely. Yeah. And that was also a nice mirroring of the change in the relationship and dynamic between Luke and June. Yeah.
2: And... Yep also the dynamic and the change in the relationship between um between the uh water and uh, the waterfords like right. there was a lot of focus on a shift in the dynamic of relationships in yeah. this episode yeah.
0: i would love more backstory on their stuff because oh. that whole interaction oh. made me you know wonder okay when did things start to get awkward in their marriage has it been like that for like the last 10 15 years you know yeah. after they've been together for like another you know like for like 20 and mm-hmm. you know they're like okay this shit's getting old but god damn it we're in a stupid religion, and we can't get divorced, so stuck with you. Do, we don't really like each other very much, but I remember I used to like you. But now, I don't know how I feel. It, mm-hmm. it just is it because they they've have this elephant in the room. I mean, they're basically running a resistance operation out of their fucking house. I can't imagine that makes yeah. for a great relationship.
2: Right. Make it. <laughs> right. I don't, so for me, it felt more like the um like the tensions in their relationship started pre. Gilead. Mm. Yeah. Um. My guess is that because I mean, he used to do these soft, tender things like making mixtapes, which is such, such a, a sweet, darling, so adorable. Thing. Ugh. Um. But that's the man that she fell in wow. love with. And then my guess is around the time he started publishing these super logical books about yeah. how to um, how to control uh, how to control society and how to actually build Gilead.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um. And now that the resistance is building and starting to gain some traction. We do start to see those. We are starting to see those tender moments between them. So yeah. it might be a bit more of a return to his humanity, yeah. and so she's able to embrace that a bit more. That's how I read it.
1: Hmm. Yeah, that's exact. That's pretty much how I saw it too. I feel like. I mean, I guess it's. I'm. It's all just guessing until we do get a fuller backstory on them. But I just feel like they're relationship, they just seem like those opposites attract kind of great couple. I mm-hmm. always picture them as really having a solid relationship until Gilead. I feel like he just really, he was writing those those logical books, but he wasn't implementing them. And I think that's where he just got in with the wrong people. I really feel like that's going to be his story was, yeah, mm-hmm. he's just brains that got in with evil and used his logic and his kind of platform that he had and whatever logistics it was and ran with it and by the time he figured out what was happening it was out of his control and I feel like Eleanor just is still traumatized by how could you have had a role in any of the stuff that just went down and I Mm -hmm. feel like for him he's more of like in survival mode like you need to keep it together enough to not lose your shit you have a lot, you know, he, he has a lot of leeway with her. I mean, she's a wife. She does have some privilege, and she can get away with a lot. But she really does, I mean, he is trying hard to keep her together. Yeah. It looks like he has really been through it with her and her mental health. And he's nervous about her and coddles her. He really yeah. coddles her a little bit. Because he loves uh, her. Yeah. Back to the mental health stuff. I, don't, I think it's an act.
0: I think, I, Dude, think okay. I, I, mm. I think it's all an act. I thought about this. I think it's all an act because, you know, I, I feel like she acted her worst around people that don't know her. Mm. You know, so like, you know, she. I feel like maybe she put on a show for Aunt Lydia.
1: Right. You I, know,
0: I feel like, and then and then with uh, irreverent Larry as I like to call him. (laughs) You know, think back to the last episode when they're in the office and he's just being a complete douche. Yeah. So so I I can get behind, you know, maybe him acting that way was twofold. It, you know, was this little, like, test for June. But then it also provided a face to the other commanders that, yeah, this guy is completely on board with us. He's on the same page. He thinks that, you know, these women are stupid and useless except mm-hmm. for what they can provide for us. Yeah. And I think his wife is on the same page. I think she, I think it's an act, because she's
1: clearly not like that. Right, you're right. And yeah, The one-on-one interactions yeah. of June,
2: yeah.
0: It she does always clearly,
1: amplify around, yeah. like, other authority yep. figures. Mm-hmm. She's clearly not like that. Yep. Any
0: other time, she's totally normal in her house. She's normal around the Marthas. Yep. And I think it's them putting on a face so that no one could ever possibly suspect them of running a resistance movement out of their house. Why? Because well, Larry orchestrated the thing, and we can tell by his interactions with his handmaids right. and his servants and his wife, his wife, mm-hmm. that you know he is he is clearly you know on the same page as we are. Mm-hmm. And then you know his wife. Well, have you seen his wife? She couldn't possibly be part of this. Right. She can't even <laughs> she can't even sit still without getting hysterical. Like yeah. her
2: constitution is far too delicate to yeah. be uh, orchestrating a resistance.
1: I think yeah. it's all an act. I I, I <laughs> like that theory. I could definitely get behind that. You're right because she is definitely normal later in this episode and seems to be whenever it's private and it's just yeah. chewing around mm-hmm.
0: alright I can get behind that yeah I can I can get behind that as well maybe if know, she does we'll see, see.
1: So she does scatter. So time. <laughs> <laughs> she does scatter as soon as you know she acknowledges June's mm-hmm. kind of hovering in the corner. She leaves, and June and Lawrence have this one moment where she's trying to ask him. He he starts off with his typical snark of seatbelts and blood pressure when she asks right. him if her husband's safe, uh, but he does admit that everyone's in danger. And mm-hmm. he's she says to him, "I know he has my daughter," and he replies, "And isn't that what you wanted?" Which is the Mm -hmm. same thing we're going to see Fred ask Serena later, but I really like those two scenes juxtaposed against each other of them both asking the same thing of, wait, what are you complaining about? You just got her out to Canada. Right. She's with your husband. What's the problem? Yes. Mm -hmm. And then we go to Fred's office and we get to see a new portion of this workplace that I'm guessing is some kind of Congress, Senate type... Something. It's thing It's a council buildings. of some persuasion. <laughs> council I like that. Yeah. Council of the big important menfolk. Yeah, <laughs> which is exactly what it's set up to be. But first of all, first thing about this scene that just made my head spin. Why is Rita there? Why I don't did know. Rita accompany Serena to Fred's meeting. It just doesn't make sense. Like, doesn't she have a house to tend to? Like, do they not have a house yet? Like, we haven't seen a new house. I'm just not really sure why Rita's there. (laughs) My guess, Other than the beautiful scene it's set
2: up. Well, other than the beautiful scene it's set up, my guess would be that Rita's main duty is, I mean, aside from tending to the house, which at this point we don't know whether or not a new one exists, is to make sure that all is well with the wife. And make sure that Serena is well tended to. And at this Has point. that been the role always? Not always, but um, but the relationship between Rita and Serena. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I feel like it's uh, it's a bit unique, and you see a little right. glimmer of that as well when um, when Serena is about to leave to get on the plane. Mm-hmm. There's that slight tender moment. So I feel like um, Rita and Serena have a slightly unique relationship in that regard, um, and. From the looks of it, by the fact that Fred actually joined Ser- uh, invited Serena to join the council, odds oh are Serena boy. was just going to be sitting out there twiddling her thumbs, and Rita was probably brought along just as accompaniment. It's, it's almost like keep, she's a modern-day ladies'
0: servant. Yeah, that's right. kind of what I think. That's what her place is now. That she doesn't actually have a house of her own to take care of. I think that's what just, it is. I think,
1: yeah. Here, Rita, yeah. you're just going to babysit well, the wife
0: for a little right. bit. <laughs> and so make so sure you that have she's okay. Things yes. to
1: cook and me and things to clean. Just mm-hmm. come yeah. watch her and give her right. some moral support. So they do. They have this great, this great scene where I think Rita's been really forgiving and mm-hmm. really generous and gracious with Serena through this up yeah. until this point. But she does give her a little bit of. um a little bit of a side eye when she Rita tells her what a blessing to have seen her to know she's safe talking about Nicole mm-hmm. and Serena responds she's with a stranger and Rita says a stranger to you and Serena goes yes to me mm-hmm. and here we go this let's get into it with I Serena felt you know, where, there you go, she changes.
0: Also, mm. uh, you know, before they go in there and, you know, Fred tells her, like, yeah, you know, you're going to come in and yeah. sit on this. And you have, have a say. Sit- oh. her, like, you have That's a say in such this. such bullshit. Oh. You, such bullshit. You can see that flicker of trepidation on her face. Like, well, last time I tried to have a say in something, I lost my fucking finger. Right. right. <laughs> right. Um, So I could understand her hesitation. But, oh, Serena, I, I just really feel like she... I felt like she was gonna flip the second she saw that baby on the iPad. I knew she was gonna flip. Well,
2: oh yeah, one hundred percent. No, I'm so, I'm sorry, but as soon as you, uh, I want to go. I want to go mm-hmm. on yeah. that, but I want to really touch on yeah. before she goes in and sees the baby yeah. on the iPad, mm-hmm. and Fred has the fucking gall to say, "You have a say in this."
1: Right, I have a lot written down with it, too. as though
2: she would for even the slightest moment. and And, and and she
1: doesn't I mean we see it that she doesn't have a say in anything there was nothing
2: she had a say in she
1: gets to ask one question they
2: regurgitate the information to her and then the council breaks yeah she gets no say in anything, and we see that over uh-huh. and over and over in the yeah. episodes. So for him to lie to her face so blatantly—see, so I
1: don't even think he sees it as lying. I think to him, this is genuinely Fred at his most genuine stupidity of just not understanding anyone but himself and his motives. Of mm-hmm. uh, to him, he th- this is such a gift to all those men in that room and to Fred. He thinks he is giving her such a gift. Come sit at the and table that's what with he us, loves. men. He loves this is to yes. be a good
0: guy. He he yes, to look be what
1: up I did to. for you. Oh,
2: he loves I'm going to bring you it. in.
1: They want to hear. You have a say. Yep. And all she does is sit at the table and is privy to these men talking uh-huh. about it. And, and even when he comes out, you see yeah. it again. He has that snide. It's a real subtle remark when he comes out and she goes, Oh, are you done already? As if she was anticipating sitting there all day long waiting right. for all this meeting to happen exactly and he kind of like brushes her off with a little chuckle like oh no we're we're only just beginning we have many important things to talk about all throughout the day all of us important men in that important room mm-hmm. we're gonna let you come in for a minute see speak your piece hear what you need to hear have yeah. your say quote unquote right and usher you away so we can get back to more important things exactly. it's really the undertone of that entire setup absolutely and oh sorry go ahead no, go ahead. By all
2: means. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're being too polite. Um, okay. So, and her ver- uh, the only thing that she gets to actually say is, "I'd like to know about the man who was raising right. her." And That's- I'm sitting
1: there like, "You could just ask June." Right. Yeah, <laughs> you moron. You have access one on one. You're sitting access. at this table, yes, with your say, and you're just going to ask about Luke. Which I get it; he's a stranger to you. But like, first of all. Gilead, where they have some intense, intense intel. You're right. Intel? What does that I mean? I don't know. Something smelled
2: really good for a second. I got like a whiff of something very like perfumey and it was lovely. Oh.
1: But I don't, don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I thought it was the total opposite. That. I thought, because I had just burped and I was like, <laughs> oh, it's just me, babe. It's just me. I just No, burped. I'm so That's sorry. All. You weren't going to tear that one. I know. And like I think Jay's
0: smoking pot in the next room. That might be it. I don't know. <laughs> <Maybe> <laughs>
1: something smelled
2: really good though and it smelled sweet and it was lovely. I'm sorry, you I were on. It too. Is it the beer? No.
1: Mm-mm.
2: What is that? Do we have
0: ghosts now? Fuck, I haven't had At least ghosts good in this house, ghosts. So, hey, thanks.
2: <laughs> Thank you. Cool. Sorry, you were on a tear though, and I completely yeah. interrupted with the smell. I'm so sorry. No,
0: don't be sorry. Um, I don't. I thought that was a signal for like something no. else. <laughs> it's like something,
1: <laughs> really no, it's like what something. No, really it's like something smelled really
2: good. No, something sorry. smelled really good. Whatever it was. Gong.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel like I'm reading really, Oh, okay, so we can get into that chunk of... Do you want to
2: rewind for a second? Can we do that? We can...
1: But, as stupid as it was that she goes in there and just asks, tell me more about Luke, and she gets his job, she gets his pre-Gilead job, he baptized a kid, oh, and here's her medical records. While she was walking in, mm-hmm. we get... It just sets the scene so great. It was such a tense, tense walk, and it's a reminder of where serena was last time she came in to address this group of men and she had that fire under her of i'm going to do this for my daughter and i'm going to make a stand and i'm going to take some of my power back and get some of my freedom to this scene where she is walking and she looks like a lamb being led to slaughter she is terrified and i kept waiting as they're watching you watching her walk in and you're kind of listening to all the background information which is kind of interesting but then you're I'm waiting for that classic like that scene of her like missing finger as she puts her hands up and is like oh remember remember what happened last time I was here gentlemen and you don't get it and it was so interesting that you don't get it because it was it felt like for me trying to watch and see that finger it was, felt like she was intentionally trying to hide it. That hand, you mm-hmm. didn't see that pinky the entire time You, the camera watched her come in. Mm-hmm. But we do get a lot of background conversation where the men are all trying to figure out what to do about this Nicole situation. No one seems generally too concerned with actually getting Nicole back, mm-hmm. but more of just how it's going to look on a political stage, on a world stage, and... Putnam is the only voice of reason within the commanders that we can hear. Uh, they're criticizing, saying we need to do more than a strongly worded letter asking for them to send Nicole back. Uh, but Putnam replies that... Oh, I'm missing it. Did I throw it on the ground already? What does he say about the extradition? Oh, I have it here. Right here. Um, Our options are limited without an extradition treaty. So we know that there's just not a lot that they can do at this point. Legally, yeah. I don't think they can do a thing. Right. So we know that there's already a rift happening within the commanders. Um, They want to do a stronger action, but they can't really do much. Putnam's trying to kind of placate everybody as, it's all right, we'll do what we can do and move on. Um, and you know we have our thoughts about the Putnams and their role moving forward within the resistance. Putnam, just as a reminder, is the one that's missing an arm because his wife said, "I fear for his soul," and had it chopped off <laughs> after the whole Janine episode. So many body parts missing around really. so <laughs>
2: the Not enough body parts, in my cons- as far as I'm concerned.
1: Not the right ones. <laughs> <laughs> but that w- so. That was pretty much it. Then she just gets, she comes in, she says what she's going to say, and she gets a little update of, it was a little nice to hear the update of the medical Mm -hmm. um, chart, which A, I was like, how the hell did they get that? Gilead, Intel is a little alarmingly efficient. Oh, absolutely. Um, But also, it was just a sweet moment for me, because... We had the moment outside where I was like, fuck you, Serena, as soon as she was, like, angry that the baby's with Luke, as Mm -hmm. if that's this horrible thing. Um, But I'm going to go to bat for Serena here. I understand. Think of the only time she's ever seen Luke. What does she know? She's met Luke, but, well, she's seen Luke before. Mm -hmm. She saw Luke in Canada last time she went. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Justifiably a little pissed off at her. So... While I can understand everything about why Luke's pissed off, from Serena's standpoint, she goes and gets this baby out. This is her one thing she wants to do, it's the one thing she's fucking done right so far. Mm-hmm. She's done a lot of things wrong. The one thing she does right is say I want a better life for my daughter. Go ahead June, take her out. June takes her out mm-hmm. but comes back and now the baby's out in the world alone and regardless of how you feel about Serena and her role as the mother to this child, she was the the primary caretaker. She wasn't mm-hmm. letting June anywhere near that baby. Most of that of Nicole's life was was Serena mm-hmm. and for her to now have to grapple with the fact that someone she doesn't know who does not like her very much is now going to raise this child and all she's asking for eventually we'll see her ask June for it is just to say goodbye and i genuinely think that's all she wanted was a little bit of closure
0: and i get that but i'm also like you already said goodbye yes. why do yeah. we have to do
1: it again yeah, yeah that's very why I'm at too. Right. heartfelt and goodbye yeah i can i'm on board with that like serena you're not i feel like Serena's biggest problem is she lacks empathy. Serena doesn't have it in her to be empathetic. To and people. she mm-hmm. feels entitled. And, she, and very entitled. That's my biggest problem with And too, that yes. is, you know, how we got to where we are with mm-hmm. Serena. And I think it's going to be something we're continuing. Mm-hmm. We're going to have to continue <sighs> to. Man, deal I struggle
0: with. with her. I really struggle. I do not know what kind of redemption arc this person could possibly have. If she could have one. If she could have one at all. Because. Oh man, just when I start to like her
2: a little bit, the old
0: Serena comes back and I'm like Yeah and yes. I, know I still can't
2: stand you. I know. As soon as you hear about the tooth, like, oh and she has a tooth coming in. That's when I saw like that little flick and that switch. Yeah. And I was like, that's when old Serena starts coming back. Yeah.
1: But you didn't you didn't feel a flick of of at least empathy for her that she's missing that's a hard thing to miss those first milestones and True. Th- so that's how i heard that that scene well, of just oh she's missing milestones mm-hmm. And it, that hurts. Well, that's how it hurts.
0: But she has no right to the friggin' kid to begin with. I, and that's where I can't get past her entitlement. You're not her mom. You kidnapped her mom. You tried to kill her father. You
2: Jeez. were uh, a horribly abusive okay. person. Of course, she was a horribly abusive person. Of course, she oh. has been a wretched human. But to play devil's advocate oh. to Marjorie's point, this has been Nicole's primary caregiver. Yeah. So it's sort of like saying that an adoptive mom isn't the person, isn't the baby's mom. Like does, I all do- of their shortcomings aside. Now, I I don't know which side of the fence I fall on on this, to be entirely honest. Yeah. But if you have an adoptive parent that is, for all intents and purposes, acting as the sole caregiver and giving all of their love to this child, I mean. I can sort of I guess empathize with her with her love and attachment and wanting to, and considering herself the mother. I'm not saying that justifies any Correct. of her actions no, by I any stretch can, of the imagination. You can
1: empathize with all that and right. still not be like I'm not Co-signing anything, <laughs> oh, yeah. not condoning any at um, any point, other than I can just see mm-hmm. what you're saying. Like right. she, regardless of how you feel about it, she really is grieving this child, Absolutely. the loss of this child. She felt that this was her child, this was her miracle, as she mm-hmm. calls her later, and and Fred it, totally manipulates that as and well. One hundred percent. like, that, like, like oh, he doesn't she give a her, shit about this baby. She has baby. her first
2: tooth coming in, and just sort of looks <laughs> at her mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. these sweet doting eyes with that storm
0: (laughs) behind them and I just strangle him
2: so much as soon as I saw them like you manipulative son of a bitch well because the whole the the whole time we've been
0: focusing solely on Serena's Mm -hmm. absolute devastation um um
1: And then very little of Fred's, because I don't think Fred fucking cares. He doesn't. He doesn't give a shit. This baby is status to him and nothing else. He doesn't care about being a father to this child whatsoever. Mm -hmm. At all. But he is entirely using the situation to gain back what he has lost because of the situation, he's trying to redeem himself. And I think he's on the path to succeeding, as we'll see. most certainly is, from the looks of it. But, so, they they end the meeting. That's it. There you go, Serena. That's your say. Let's all take a break. And as they're walking out, she starts to, starts to break down. Mm-hmm. Not sobbing, but she's definitely emotional at this point. Just as Fred had kind of handed her that emotion mm-hmm. on a silver platter. Mm-hmm. But then he looks at her... In his classic Fred moment, with just genuine surprise, like he doesn't understand why she's upset. Mm-hmm. And he just can't. He'll never be able to wrap his head around the actions of the women in his life. And it is forever an amusement to watch Fred not understand. <laughs> He's clueless he just male archetype it. amplified. Yeah. Yes, uh, he really he is. He is a caricature. <sighs> oh, he is. And he says the same thing to Lawrence, uh, says the same thing to Serena that Lawrence had said to June. Mm -hmm. I thought this is what you wanted. Our daughter is safe in Canada. And she says she wants to be with her, but that's impossible. Mm -hmm. So she goes, I just want this to be over. And it's unseen. And I genuinely think that that's how she feels in that moment of, let me just go see Mm -hmm. that she's healthy, that she's being cared for by this Mm -hmm. person, that... I don't think is the best person to be raising her, mm-hmm. but it is the situation. I, I really think that's where she's coming at it in that moment. I mm-hmm. don't think that's where Fred's coming at it when he says, "Hey, that's a great idea. Let's right. go see Nicole." Right. I think he needs Serena to get on board with him. Of let's get this baby back, so he can be the hero in the workplace again. Mm-hmm. So he can have he can be the hero hero of Gilead. Mm-hmm. He can be the victim on the world stage. We'll get into all that. But, right. Yeah. So I think Fred's actually doing some manipulating and some at least slightly plotting, which is not
2: Fred's M.O. generally. Not typically, mm-hmm. but uh, but it's been compelling to see. But um, And then we start to see little glimmers of that as well
1: once, uh, once you have the move into the Waterfords visiting Lawrence's house. Yes, which is the next scene, and it's a little ominous at first. You just mm-hmm. get Eleanor going to June's room Mm -hmm. and telling her they're here to see you in the parlor Mm -hmm. and she comes down and you get that great moment between her and Commander Lawrence. There is not a single word said when she shows up and he's Mm -hmm. waiting for her at the parlor and she looks in, sees who's in there, Mm -hmm. sees what's waiting for her, kind of sizes it up, steals herself. You can see her visibly trying to just rein it in which is exactly what he's been kind of guiding her to Mm -hmm, right he gives her this look and she gives him that look back of like all right i got this so we're on the same page it was just Mm -hmm. such a great moment and they walk into the room side by side which i thought was a great visual too agreed um for me one i mean this
2: is obviously a very powerful moving scene but for the first thing that jumped out at me was fucking fred I've chosen what to do with this. Not we. Oh, I
1: didn't know not that. Not we've that. Okay. chosen, but oh, Fred
2: says, I've chosen what to do here. Oh, I totally I've chosen. Yes. Again, yes. immediately, the last scene, Serena, Serena gets to say in this, <laughs> right. we, we value your opinion. And the very next scene, he fucking reneges on it. Yep. As soon as I heard that, I was like, and he is officially, I mean, not that he was a trustworthy character to begin with, right. but... I cannot trust a single thing that he is going to do or say in relation to Serena, in relation to Nicole. He's a loose cannon at this point. Anything that he says is susceptible to, uh, to doubt. Yeah. Because as soon as he did not say, we've chosen, it showed that he's undermining everything that, uh, that Serena thinks and feels
1: about this. Do you think he's putting out a little bit of a front for Lawrence because he doesn't know? I don't think he really genuinely understands Lawrence's role. I can I can see and understand where you would think that he's putting on that front, but
2: to me it was just indicative of Fred's true nature and yeah. Fred thinking that he is in full control of the situation and not respecting Serena's sovereignty or independence of ha- or the fact that she has any sort of opinion whatsoever, yeah. that she could be entitled to opinion. Right. Um, because anyone in that room would understand that we've chosen. Lawrence would choose. Even Lawrence's public facade would understand if he... If he uh, if, uh, if Fred had said, we've chosen. Yeah, I can get behind that. So I felt like it was a very powerful single word statement. Yeah,
1: that's, I completely missed that. That's interesting. The mm-hmm. uh, Are we going to talk about the scene with the phone call now? Oh, I yeah, but I, I do. Um, I was just wondering
0: if anything was going to come before because I just have thoughts. Yeah,
1: I just wanted to say the first scene when they're, um, when she first walks in, they have that moment and they walk in side by side mm-hmm. <laughs> and fred greets her and that typical i don't know whatever he says to her whatever gilead platitude he throws Ugh. her away. but she just the fact that she responds the way she's supposed to i feel like we haven't seen june respond a normal gilead response basically this entire season True. and i'm like oh she still knows how to, she still got it She still got the call back. <laughs> she didn't say fuck you fred bite me right. <laughs> she said may the lord open and that's yeah. showing that she's paying attention it did. to could, Lawrence's lessons. Lawrence looked at her. He looked at her like, okay, all right, yeah. you got it under control. At least at least we got that far. <laughs> we have a ways to go. So they do. They sit down. Fred lays it out and what they want. But then Serena talks to her. June's, ugh, oh, that reaction when she first kind of sits down and figures out what they're asking for, and you're watching her try to just maintain it all. This I, It was such a great June episode. I feel like
0: this whole, whole thing was all about June and her composure.
1: Her composure. Yes. She, for her to just internalize and have to internalize so much of that, but that shot of her face when she finally says, what do you want from me? And they tell her to that she has to call her husband and just watching her her mind just run through all the implications mm-hmm. of what that means and we're going to see how actually horrible it is to yeah. ask her to do this in this setup under these conditions. Mm-hmm. It was brutal, but I loved, uh, Elizabeth Moss just knocked it out of the park with that scene. And it really brought you back to like season one, season two, June, where she's just stuck between that like how do I feel? And this is my reality. And I can't wrap my head around this. And how do I move forward? And it she's had so much control and it just, she still had so much control in this moment, but to watch her just get brought back down to that level of like, mm-hmm. you gotta be kidding me, here we are again. She started off so high, and ten minutes into the episode, we're already like, she's already just reeling again with what they're asking her to do. It just was so short-lived. Yeah. Oh, and when Serena wants to talk to her alone, like, you know, she asked the men to kind of leave, or at least right. asked Fred to leave, and uh, Lawrence follows suit, he he gives her a signal before he leaves where he turns to her and he clears his throat. Oh, and it's oh. really like, after watching it back that. a couple of times, I'm like, oh, he is telling her, get in your place. June, you get it together. There's an opportunity here is really what he felt like. As oh, he stands up to leave, he clears his throat mm-hmm. as he glances at her. And it's kind of just like a you're in a position. They are asking something of you, so ask something back. And, and that's, that's why, why she said, I want you to owe like, me. And so she, you can see her just it's tearing her apart tearing her apart tearing her apart and then she finally is just like all right well this is what I want and she Mm -hmm. doesn't know and it was such a smart thing to ask for because I'm like what would she ask for in that moment Mm -hmm. and I mean what else you can't know what you're going to ask for other than a little bit of currency of when I need something I need you to come through for me Mm -hmm. and I'm curious if you think that do you think Serena thinks that that uh, package delivery was the thing? Because that, that wasn't the thing, right? No, like, that was absolutely like not. This the, right. that wasn't the thing. If okay. I was like, okay, <laughs> I, mean, you know, like, I get it,
0: but you're right. really
1: not <laughs> like not, not asking
2: not a lot. The priority no. I'm not I don't mean. feel like that was at all because okay. you didn't see like I don't two so Luke from June or anything like that. It was right. just it for was, Luke. Yeah. While you're going, you're gonna give him this, and we'll talk about what you owe me yeah. later. Exactly, okay. and Fair I think that Serena understands the gravity of like asking to fly to another country to go face-to-face with my husband yeah. and my child is a little bit different than, oh, while you're there, just deliver this cassette Yeah, right? Yeah. So that
0: makes so much sense when you put it like that because, mm-hmm. um, you know, in the scene when she's sitting at the desk actually making the phone call, mm-hmm. which was so heart-wrenching. Ugh. This is the f- first time this season that I think I got really teary-eyed yeah. really teary-eyed yeah. and I'm sitting there on the couch like my my hands like clasped like this underneath clutching my your chin pearls. like <laughs> I'm clutching my pearls I'm clutching my invisible pearls over this. <laughs> and I am just like I'm trying to like hold it in and my kid is sitting next to me and she's like seriously mom and I'm like just shut up okay <laughs> and I'm really I'm feeling it like yeah. it's just that broke me. It It was was so sad. But then at the end of it, when they pan out and you see her sitting at the desk, their hands on the desk, she's in the power chair and all these people are surrounding her. Yeah. That was fantastic. And I kept thinking, like, she looks like a CEO. Like yeah. she is yeah. they purposely showed her in a place of commanding
1: power. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so what you've said just now totally makes sense. And mm-hmm. I had two entirely different feelings from that setup of the way that they were all positioned around her okay. from the beginning of the episode to, from the beginning of the scene to the end. The first thing I thought I was said They're in the shadows and they're looming. It was like this creepy shadow figure is behind Mm -hmm. here as she's going to try to have two minutes to talk to her husband for the first time in three years. years." And she's got to get this meeting to happen in two minutes, which Mm -hmm. that alone is going to be hard enough. But then on top of it, this is the first time she's talking to him and she's got these creepy motherfuckers standing behind Mm -hmm. her in the dark. And everything, it just felt so brutal. And then, yes, exactly. By the time she gets through it, at the end, she does. She looks like the boss. And, and everyone else is flanking her, like, what do you want us yeah. to do next? And I was like, wow, that was a shift in dynamic yeah. just in. And they didn't move. It was just in what she did in right. those two minutes.
2: And then you had that. And we'll get into what the conversation. But I love since we're talking about that dynamic anyway, I loved that Lawrence went to hand her a tissue. And she just... <laughs> Stiffened up. She didn't even yeah. say no. I don't want it. She mm-hmm. just stiffened up and completely refused it and held her composure. And
1: uh, that was my favorite. If
2: any, if any lesson that every single lesson that Lawrence has given her came through just blaring right there. Hold your composure. Maintain your dignity and integrity. Don't give them a fucking inch.
1: Yeah. Now you have that scene right after the phone call ends. So you have it end. The phone disconnects. And you can just feel the weight of all the emotion of that Mm -hmm. entire conversation that they just had. And they're showing, they cut the sound, Mm -hmm. or they're playing some kind of background music, um, so you don't hear Luke anymore, but you see Luke. And he is just wrecked. He's broken down. He doesn't have to have the composure Mm -hmm. that June has to have in that moment. And when Commander Lawrence goes to hand her that tissue and she denies it, like you just beautifully described, that was just a moment of like... Put me in, Commander. I'm ready to burn shit down. Yeah. Like, I, I learned. I think she
0: might have done it, too, because mm-hmm. if she took that tissue and she acknowledged mm-hmm. she how much she was feeling on the inside, that would have been it. It would, it yeah. would have yeah. done to It just that crumbled her. Yep. She Absolutely. She had to hold it in, or yeah. all hell would have break, broken
2: loose. Agreed entirely. And I was convinced that as soon as, like, she walked out and closed the door, that that's where she was going and to break. And she's standing
0: there, and she's still just holding it all yes. in. I figured if you're going back to your bedroom, you might as well let loose now. Right. And she doesn't, and mm-hmm. I just don't know how she did
2: it. She's... She's masterful of that. I'm, I'm, I was floored. I was absolutely flabbergasted. And the fact that Luke agreed to do this meeting... That surprised
1: me. That surprised me as well. It makes me wonder, so... I mean, we're jumping ahead a little bit, but we have uh, Tuella shows up, and the only thing I can think of if Tuella's knowing about this meeting is that he has to have been in contact with Luke already, Mm -hmm. and for Luke to just be, I'm not sure, I don't know a lot of the details, I thought it was weird for him to just be like, I mean, just the the idea that she's got a two-minute phone call to try to convince him to hand this, not hand this baby over, but she doesn't really not say hand the baby over. She's Mm -hmm. like, you got to bring the baby to meet them at the airport. Right. Like, it's not entirely clear. There's not, so I'm assuming that second phone conversation, I mean, he does tell her, like, she's like, I need you to do something. And Mm -hmm. he does eventually kind of, he says right away at that point, like, whatever you need, but it, it was kind of strange. It, it sat weird with me that he was just like, well, okay, but not Waterford, which yeah. is fine. I mean, I get why he says it, but. Friend. Well, <laughs> and also, at that point, Luke is under the impression that, that Nicole is Waterford's child. Right. So why would he want what, to see I'm him? assuming that's yeah. going to, now he shows up, he's got his kid in his hands, his... Biological child in his hands. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's got to be grounds. I'm, I'm assuming there's got to be some kind of like international exactly <laughs> situation going on there. That's right. going to be more tricky at that. Point. Whereas Serena has no biological yeah, attachment to this just, child, so worst case, take that kid with her exactly. And I'm
2: in my head. As soon as he said that, I was like, that makes perfect sense because mm-hmm. worst case scenario, she flips out while she's holding the child and like tries to claim a sovereignty over this child, like, right? There's no DNA evidence linking her yeah. specifically to this child, whereas with exactly. water, whereas with Fred, he had, there is. Has to the he's dangerous. That he does. Ex- exactly. As that. far as Luke knows, <laughs> that's and that's the truth of the matter. So. right. I mean, that was that was a very clever, very quick decision on his part, and I give him credit for thinking on his feet that swiftly. Yeah.
1: So June does excuse herself. She <laughs> walks back and to her room, and I just there's this one moment so she doesn't say anything and you just watch her kind of physically work through everything that just Mm -hmm. happened and she bows her head and then you get that slow rise of her head and we see it a couple more times in this episode and that was the i want to say the first time the first time i noticed it at that point where she just kind of looks down it's that like focus regroup steal yourself and then just that like poker face resistance face that june's Mm -hmm. perfecting she's really Mm -hmm. getting that like shed the rest of the emotional baggage and just focus on what you're here to do Mm -hmm. and we're seeing her continue I mean that was a big victory a big personal victory for her was that phone call as hard as that was for her to be able to get through that the way she had to the way that Luke gets to just sob on the ground in the middle of nowhere and she's got to just Hold keep them it all bottled in.
2: Right. And then back to that head lift that we continue to see several times in this episode, mm-hmm. where instead of keeping her head down and keeping her wings keep her from seeing her surroundings, she slowly lifts her head and is able to look around her and see things clearly. And that's that alone is a huge power move in Gilead right. for a handmaid yeah. because you're choosing to neglect your wings. You're choosing to look around. And the whole point of those wings is to keep the blinders on. So mm. as soon as like that... Every time we saw her lifting her head in that way, I was like, "It's such a subtle sign of resistance, but but it's I still like there it. and it's very powerful." Yeah. Every and time it's getting she does better.
1: It. She's getting better at it oh, every those time. Dead eyes. I like it. <laughs> She's fucking beautiful. Then we get a quick quick scene with uh, oh, we we'll get the real quick scene scene with Moira and Luke um, where she asks him how she sounds, and he says she sounds like June. Yeah, and yeah. I feel like that might have been the easiest way for him to listen to what she said and do and agree to what she said was. It's just June, and it sounded like June, and she's Mm -hmm. saying, this is what I need, and he's going, okay, oh, that conversation, did you guys see this the same way that I did, where when he first answers that call and realizes that it's June on the phone, I mean, to when he says, she goes, I'm okay, Hannah's okay, too, and he goes, where are you? To me, I'm thinking, he thinks she's out. Yeah, She's in Canada yeah. calling him from like a refugee station. Because like, how else did she make hate that, hate that call? It. And he goes, where are you? And she goes, we're still in Gilead. And to watch his face fall yeah. in that moment was, that was gutting to me. That was mm-hmm. a really, really hard moment of like, you're out, you're safe. You're not out, but you're okay. But I know you're, you're on, not on the safe. You. Like, how is this happening? Um, yeah, that, that was just... Top. It's I was wondering if you read that the his same way. Brain around in one <laughs> phone call in two minutes. It's really heavy two minutes. Right. I mean, you see it with Emily and Sylvia in a totally different mm-hmm. context of her just yes. stopping traffic, and here he is just in the middle of the pouring rain, just right. leaving a gas station buying some diapers, mm-hmm. and everything just stops around him in the same way. Right. Even though he doesn't, it's not the same phone call. Uh, but then. we do get a, a real quick, but. Really poignant scene with Eleanor and uh, June, where Eleanor is the first one that finally acknowledges, like, "What you just had to do was fucking hard." Yes, Mm -hmm. like that was some bullshit. Yeah, and and it's nice to finally have some a little bit of like just a voice of reason of, yeah, that was difficult because Lawrence isn't going to give her that, but that's what Eleanor is there for. And then they have the whole conversation about the Mm mixtapes and. June gives her this little advice of you just hang on to whatever sliver there is left. And it's a recurring thing that I feel like in this episode with June of there's pieces of June. And she's got to figure out how they all fit Mm -hmm. together and grapple with. And they all do have to grapple with who they are now Mm -hmm. in this Gilead world. In this post-Gilead world, I mean... Luke has just as many ramifications he has to deal with of in course. Canada, Emily and everyone everyone in the story is affected in some way. Mm-hmm. And and you also have um Eleanor saying that she misses the man that he was.
2: Yeah. And to say, uh, and then to have June say, I uh, say that you just hold on to whatever little piece you can was also reflective of June later on with that recording. Yeah. Talking about how she is no longer that person that right. she was, but she's trying to hold on to those little bits of herself.
1: Yeah. Um, it was a it was Or a just blindness. to give Luke a sliver of, yeah. of herself because she's not the same, but this was, that's how I felt it was. She's giving Luke what Eleanor wants. It's yes. just that little sliver. And she's like, here, Luke, here's the sliver of me. Let me explain some stuff to you. Let me mm-hmm. have a private moment with you that I didn't right. get before. And one of the things that she does say that you just mentioned was that she's not the same June anymore. And mm-hmm. it was brutal when he is talking to Moira. And mm-hmm. she says, how does she sound? And he goes, she sounds like June. Yeah. And the thing is, she's not. She's, she's not. just not. She can't ever be that June. No, that he's going No, there's no going back for any of them. No. Right. And that's that's a tough thing to have to deal with. So that was a very powerful, albeit brief, scene. Yeah, it was. It was really quick, but they jammed a lot in. There was this mm-hmm. one beautiful shot right in the beginning. It was really... I, I want to say it's right when uh, Eleanor walks in. And they have the fire going, some mm-hmm. kind of fire going yeah. behind the camera, and there's one point where it's directly, it looks like Jude is sitting in the flame. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. That was so masterful. And she yeah. comes in and goes... How are you doing? That must have been really hard. And it's like, yeah, I'm fucking sitting no in the plane. I'm actually on fire no, right now. Thank, Thank you. you. Right? <laughs> really how the look? My whole world is
2: burning around <laughs> exactly. me. Thank you for mentioning and that. I'm
1: sitting here just fine. Everything's great.
2: And I'm so happy that you mentioned that, too, because I appreciated the fact that they were, that the lighting, because of that fire, like every time that they flashed just June, she was awash with this glow from that fire. Mm. And then they would flash back to Eleanor. And the flames weren't just touching her face. She was just in darkness.
1: I can picture that. I wonder, is that
2: some foreshadowing? It might be some foreshadowing, but I also felt like it was, um, that it was sort of this moment of June starting to come into the light of realization of what she starts, and what she's going to need to do, and how she's going to make amends with Luke. um, Whereas Eleanor is still struggling with how to make amends with the new joe oh joe or uh, lawrence that she yeah. has to live with she still hasn't figured out how to make those amends with herself and how to forgive him for whatever he's uh, for what he's done in her eyes to shift away from who he used to be so i thought that that was that use of lighting was incredibly yeah, powerful that and was a great scene i also, wow, that like, was a lot there was so seconds. much and also june was using her cutesy voice
1: she does the, oh, like that she brings that voice out that. interesting times, yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah. And that there you're right. There was that one scene where that one line where she really it's it's thick there. Mm-hmm. And it always jumps out to me too, when she uses that voice. Yeah, I never thought to mention it, yeah, it felt slightly manipulative mm-hmm, at that point. Mm-hmm. But I think it's also
2: a very clever tool that Elizabeth Moss is using to make us pay attention right at that exact moment. So I think it's it,
1: been with Serena in the past a mm-hmm, couple has. episodes where she's like, you know, placate Serena with, oh, you're the mom too. Right. We're all feeling this together. Remember, mm-hmm. all of us are feeling this, not just fucking you, Serena. Exactly. Which, again, that will, goes back to, we. I forgot to mention this way back before when they're sitting down and she's trying to convince him uh-huh. to call Luke. But that's, the, that's Serena's issue, is mm-hmm. I think she really genuinely is feeling all the things she's saying, and I think she's very yeah. honest with the, her intentions of, mm-hmm. I just want to go and say goodbye and see that she's okay and everything's fine and meet this person. Mm-hmm. And she can't understand why June's like, hey, asshole, maybe I want to go too. Right. Like, like it's her fucking kid and her husband. And you're like, why can't you just set this up for me to go? And and Serena just can't think about anyone but herself. She's got that entitlement. She's got that lack of empathy. It's a real, real issue for Serena. Well, that's something that I was thinking later
0: on in the episode, like, you know, with the airport scene that we're going to talk about is... She is just completely off the rails with this whole situation. I get it. She's technically a grieving mother, a grieving (laughs) caregiver, a grieving adopted mom. But at the end of the day, she orchestrated this bullshit because of her sick ideals and because she was promised a baby. Right. Exactly. (laughs) The baby she
2: prayed for. And that's why
0: I've been rage stroking this whole episode. (laughs) It's about entitlement. She thinks she's entitled to a friggin' baby at literally any cost. At the cost of blowing up Congress (laughs) And, and enslaving women what the hell?
1: Yeah. That's and that is
0: why I just can't deal with her right now. It's entirely valid. <laughs> I thought
1: I was going to play devil's advocate for that, but no, that, that's, that's not what That's remember. where I was. Yeah. That's where yeah. I eventually yeah. ended
0: up going. And then, you know what, back to the, I totally forgot about this and I just thought of it it's relevant to nothing at all but that like little voice that June uses when she's trying to placate people, the guilty voice yeah it totally reminds me of when she was in girl interrupted do you realize she was in girl interrupted yes yeah she was the 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 burn victim mm-hmm. in the psych ward and i just and i swear to god it's like there's something about that performance and then the way that she talks to people mm-hmm. in this when she's trying to you know use that very appeasing voice it's mm-hmm. the, it's the same thing she has okay. crafted that yeah. for many years and she's probably my favorite actress because of it. She's oh, that, like just that, that good. She's that good.
2: I, I completely that forgot about that, yeah. part, that part of the performance. But you're right. She does use that super cutesy, adorable voice. Yep. And it's meant to placate. And it's also meant to incite. Endear. In- in- exactly. Endear. And- and it, it makes it so that way. June, in this exact moment, is trying to be endearing to Eleanor uh-huh. and trying to get Eleanor to yep. sympathize with her mm-hmm. from a human standpoint, yes. as opposed to just this weird relationship of wife handmaid. It was ah,
1: yeah. oh, I forgot about that. That yeah. is brilliant. She's she's on to something here.
2: She is, and it's courtesy of the tutelage that she's uh, that she has with with Lawrence. I think that by herself, if she were in a different household and any other circumstance, that June would have imploded by now.
1: I, I completely agree. I was thinking about that later. I, there's some bigger points once we get to the end of this episode. But I was thinking a lot about just June's journey in general and how I completely forgot what I was saying at all or where I was going with what <laughs> topic I was, was going to talk on. So oh, we'll just move on from
2: yeah. that. So from there, um, mm-hmm. after that conversation, we have June going into uh, into the basement and digging up the tapes immediately. Oh. Oh, this
0: was my favorite part. It was so nice. <laughs> it was just nice to hear music, music. because we don't want to hear it's music unless it's deal. in like you know horribly trepidatious times, like you right. know when you're in the car with Larry. Yeah, go yes. to Who the fuck knows? Yes, where. yes. and yes.
1: absolutely traumatizing that fucking music blaring oh, in your face. God. What a, what a different experience for June to hear music for the first time in who knows how long oh. versus poor Emily in that same Here's, situation, but one of Annie Lennox's not great songs (laughs) I don't like that song
0: but anyway this this basement scene as soon as she you know pulls it off the shelf and she opens it up and it's Mm. showing cassettes I was just, like, on the couch, like, jumping up and down. I'm like, yes. oh, my God, this is what they're doing with this? Yeah. This is so great. Because in the book, you know, in the epilogue, they talk about how June's account was found on cassette tape in a basement in Bangor, Maine. So now that kind of gives us that setting of, like, why we think things are set in, you know, obviously it was in New England, but now specifically we're getting more towards maybe it's actually in Maine. And, you know, she, in the book, she records her handmaid's tale on these cassette tapes. And they were, um, you know, basically overdubbed mixtapes. Mm-hmm. And I was just, when, as soon as I saw that, I was like, I know where they're going with
2: this. <laughs> <Yes>. I know <laughs> where they're going with this. I'm so excited. This is how they're going to work this in. Mm-hmm. And then to see it double down with the fact that she sent that recording to Luke uh, was I yes. was the, oh, really helped oh to God, seal that deal. It was deal. so good. So <laughs> I, was trying to, I kept trying to pause and see what the what the titles of all of the mixtapes were. And the only one that I can get yeah. a clear sign of was Shower Thoughts <laughs> and Your smi- and Your Smile Sings.
1: Uh, oh, I didn't see your smile Yeah, sing. your smile thing. There's sings. another one that's like mixtape something. I forget what the third mm-hmm. word is. I, I kind of for a half second tried to see what some yeah. of those were. Yeah, But <laughs> definitely a really sweet little anecdote Jack of Lawrence. Mary and Oliver used to have fun. <laughs> <laughs> well,
2: it'll, and I also <laughs> was endearing to see, like shower thoughts it's such a small little thing but larry's human too and how often do you have arguments or discussions in the shower that you're like or Uh like? i have the deepest conversations with myself in the shower so big thinky thoughts happen big thinky thoughts happen (laughs) so (laughs) i saw shower thoughts i was like this is going to be some very deep prolific music and your smile sings was the one that like when i saw that title i was like that's the one that he sent to eleanor that's like one of the big ones and it was just nice to see that little blip of humanity.
1: Yeah. And a humanity across the board. You see it with Lawrence. Mm-hmm. And you see it with just just music in general. Like, this was a really great episode for music. And it's just... Oh, it just really... It made me more emotional than I thought it would to watched you and listen to music for pleasure for the first time or music yeah. in general but for to oh, be pleasure instead of emily's situation mm-hmm. it is it's so it universal is. it's such a it's just across humanity this is what people do to cope to get through the mm-hmm. day to enjoy to create it's all those to things and to, to just mm-hmm. have it just yeah. removed from your life like it's so hard for me to wrap my head around yeah. what that must feel like and then to have her clutching the recorder oh, as well—it was such, which it was such a great
2: scene. It was, and we see later that that's because she is then using it as a tool to communicate with Luke. But in that moment, mm-hmm. in this dark, dank, dusty basement, she's just clutching onto this this relic of times gone and mm. this joyous song. You make me feel like dancing, and she has no right to feel any sort of joy whatsoever in this abysmal reality that she's living in, but to hear that song from the past was just like... At first, when I was listening to it, I was like, this doesn't make any sense. Why are we listening to I Feel Like Dancing? You make me feel like dancing. This is stupid. But when then it made it was, me realize it's... It was
1: so good. Yeah,
2: because if... If that was the first time I'd heard joyful music mm.
1: in four
0: years. After listening to friggin' harps. Exactly. For exactly long, I think I would be ecstatic. Right, so I would have felt like dancing harps? When do they hear harps? Um, okay, Putnam's house. Every time you're over at Putnam's oh, house, there's harps. Oh,
1: i totally <laughs> Okay. That's what they do. Right, they fair enough. So they can harp. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> then we get a scene of Serena and I'm assuming she's back at her mother's. We yes. see a coast. We see a blue room and her mm-hmm. longingly staring out the window clutching her box and we see that it's... Uh... <laughs> we're all giggling like school children because uh, for those
2: of you that don't know box is a euphemism for a vagina.
1: Mm-hmm. She wasn't clutching her vagina. And inside of her. <laughs> Just clutching her pendant that she wanted to pass on to Nicole. We're 12. She's packing up and leaving for Canada. Um, is you, you see her wrapping up some childhood photos? I thought it was interesting she didn't wrap up any current photos. <laughs> but she has some of her, I'm assuming they're her childhood photos of pictures yep. of a little blonde girl. That seemed it, yeah. And and this pendant that um, said, for this child I prayed. And Rita comes in and gives her the package that's just addressed for mm-hmm. Luke and Serena quickly shoves it into her bag before Fred sees and he escorts her to mm-hmm. the plane which is barely a plane at all yep. which is a little alarming but it made sense to me
2: because yeah. why would she be i mean yes she could obviously afford to be flying well, first they're class they're doing owner. it incognito aren't they they're doing it incognito yeah. and it also was a throwback to refugee sort uh, refugee asylum yeah. planes but okay. oh. they're not flying they're not flying first class for refugees mm-hmm. and whether or not Serena likes to admit it Going from Gilead to Canada, it does make her a refugee of sorts. So, yeah, so
1: technically it can. Oh, I didn't yeah. think of it like that. I just said, mm-hmm. when they first, so they see the plane, it looks normal. And mm-hmm. then you see the inside, and it's just gutted. And I was like, oh. Mm-hmm. But then I'm like, well, why, they don't have a need for planes with seats, what are they mm-hmm. going to do? They're, they're, if they're transporting anything, it's goods. Right. Yes. They're not transporting people. People aren't leaving. People aren't coming in. Exactly. So that's that. Mm-hmm. Why would they need a plane with seats? And it also felt like a nice metaphor for what Serena is going
2: through. On the surface, she looks completely put together. She looks mm-hmm. fully normal. But on the inside, She's she is gutted. absolutely gutted. So that
1: I've, yeah. was oh, a very powerful I I like metaphor that. to me. That's cool. Yeah, I didn't think about that, but mm-hmm. I like that a lot. And then she lands, and we see... Twello. Twello. (laughs) <laughs> and she remembered him. And too. she remembers him, which is a, a, a nod to Serena's ability. Like, that that's her wheelhouse. That's what she does. She can communicate. She can remember people. She does mm-hmm. well I mean, in these situations. She did have a,
0: a pretty good. She, yeah. Come on, on. She had her first normal conversation in a right. hotel bar with right. her. Right. Right. She respects her. So when was the last time she was she, given any respect? Yeah, and talks to her like she
1: is just a regular human with a mind of her own. Yes. Which is, oh, all the humanity. He wanted to write her story. Let's go write a book. Yeah. <laughs> he respected her in a way that she has not gone in a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we get to see him, and I got really excited and really curious. I was a lot of questions. We didn't get a lot of answers as to why exactly he shows up right. but or how or what the logistics are or what his deal is. But we know that he's there. And she quickly puts that guardian in his place. And I thought it was a little weird because I don't know why all of a sudden they're in. Canadian ground at this point, mm-hmm. and now the guardian's just gonna listen to Serena. Where I mean, this is a Gilead guardian. I really feel like that same sentence wouldn't fly if she's like, if he's like, I've been under strict commanders, uh, strict orders from the commander to watch you. And she's like, I, I speak for speak the for commander him? in his absence. Which is just such a, it just seems like such an easy way to like take control of the situation yep. and be on her own. Yep. And I'm, I'm not like, wait. I'm on soil th- right now. I'm I can like, do whatever the fuck I want. Bingo. Is that how that works now? Like, well, we can just shoo the guardian away? <laughs>
2: yeah. I felt it was almost like because you are on Canadian soil. Everyone, both parties, needed to be on their best behavior. And if he forced his hand against Serena's wishes, then people would get a bit more of a snippet as to exactly what life is like Mm -hmm. in Gilead. And yes, you're on the tarmac, but... I mean, this is obviously an international affair that's happening here. If that that guard had gone against and reneged against Serena's wishes, that would have gotten out very quickly, especially with uh, Tula there. That's true. So the best play for him at that point was to reel himself back... Right. Obey her wishes, and then report back to uh, an irrelevant Fred as to exactly what happened.
1: So it was the best play for Serena, too, in that Mm -hmm. moment to take advantage of to to be able to read that situation at least and figure it out and and Serena tries I mean I've I will give her some credit I feel like she really really fucking tried to make this meeting go better than it went oh, so ah yeah. see but we get the news that she's going to change into regular clothes which again I was like yes get her out of that fucking coat get her into normal clothes let her feel human again yes. let her feel like a person again mm-hmm. and things will go different and so we get to <laughs> see Serena in regular clothes walking through is that? I don't know if you were familiar with Toronto's airport in that's actual a, life. That's what nope. Toronto. Does it really look like that? I because it's gorgeous. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go to Toronto's airport now and sit in their lounge and have conversations. Like it's beautiful. <laughs> it was a great setting. And she sees Luke for the first time, and oh, she sees Luke again. She sees yeah. Nicole for the first time since she let her go, and it's it's emotional. It didn't really rip me apart. I'm like. You know, Serena. It's Serena. What was Give most, her this. Right, and what was
2: most powerful about that scene is that she was trying so hard to have a discussion about Nicole, right. and Luke just was not yielding no. on it, and wasn't letting Luke. It, it. Saw right through her sociopathic bullshit and holds up the mirror to her face and makes her see exactly what her hand is. And And she is so uncomfortable with that notion. You're not her mother. He
1: has, I mean, there's a couple times where I was like, yes, Luke, yes, like... It it made me happy, although a little bit uneasy when she first says, God bless you, and is in all her, like, motherly glory, Mm -hmm. and he goes, fuck you. (laughs) I loved that. Luke's bringing it right back down. Definitely made me laugh, and I enjoyed it, but at the same time, I'm like, dude, Luke, can we just... Take it down a notch here for a second. He eventually figures out the situation, but right. it takes him a while. It does. <laughs> but you have to give him that, that chance for that anger and yes. that resentment to come
2: through because he just heard his wife's voice for the first time in three-plus years, less than 24 hours prior to this. And now he's being thrust into a situation where he has to face one of his wife's big captors. Yeah face to face in this very public setting and all that he has are his words right now and so to be so blatant like fuck you yeah. let you know immediately like he is very displeased with this situation and he's still grappling with that anger and right. that's more than understandable it
1: is and and Serena kind of takes it in stride like she really does she goes in like I feel like June had tried to warn her initially mm-hmm. when they are having that conversation she's like I just want to go say goodbye and she, June's like it's not going to be what you think it is mm-hmm. which I felt like was June's way of warning her like my husband's not going to be happy to fucking see you right? like he's going to be pissed he's my husband I know and he's not going to be happy to see you and, and she right does serena Takes it in stride until she tries to use that propaganda bullshit line on him, where she straight up tries to tell him to his face, "Your wife is perfectly safe, Mister Bangle," and he instantly goes, "That's a lie." Yes. And I love the way he said it. I love the way he instantly responded, because I'm like, "Fuck you, Serena. You know she's not safe. Mm-hmm. Like, why are you pulling that line out?" That's when I first went, "Oh, Serena's a little miscalculated here. She's not. She's not in control of the situation no, the way all. she needs oh, to be. Not, because delusional. what the hell are you doing, Serena? No, she's you not. You know doing that. And that, and that's." When we really get a glimpse of like for her to be saying that like mm-hmm. she really is delusional there yes. is not there is a piece of her that still thinks everything is fine
0: the the fact that she is in that airport and she thinks that she has any right to be there, yeah she honestly yeah. just waltzes in like but you know with this, but I'm her mother too. no lady, you fucking aren't right. And it, that's what makes me rage stroke about just her and her delusion. Mm. And like, she is, she, honest to God, just believes that she should have, you know, a piece of her should be in this child's life. Yeah. No. Right. And no, that's like, no. Just no. Just all of the no. <laughs> I just can't all see All of the no. <laughs>
1: Fuck off,
0: Serena. Yes. Yes, yes. Yeah, I yeah. have that written, like, all over my notes <laughs> Same here. basically where I'm at.
2: And Luke calls her out on that, too, like, yes. saying, like, I don't know what it is uh, you tell yourself so you can sleep at night, you're never going to be anything to her, mm-hmm. like, just absolutely laying it on thick. And she has, and she's sitting there saying, like, she was my miracle I let her go. I wanted a better life for her. So did your wife. Like, trying to play into this humanity. And then for her to say, you know, I protected your wife. And Luke immediately just says, what did you say? Uh Like, knowing that she is fully complacent in every single struggle that his wife has been through. So for her to say, you need to understand I protected your wife.
0: And that is right there, just that interaction and what you just said about, you know, like her having like some humanity. It made me think of that, you know, quote in the last episode where Larry's saying like, you know, uh, about how we want to create a humanity for people. Mm -hmm. Serena doesn't have humanity. She just doesn't. At the end of the day, it's her. It's all her. Right. It's always her. And end of story. It's just her. And she's willing to just, she is willing to burn it all down to get what she wants. She's a narcissistic sociopath.
1: I, I, we will get into these last couple episodes. (laughs) I don't want to jump the gun and start talking about the end before we get to it. I just want to say that I feel like, yes, Serena's a little bit... uh, serena's fuck serena, okay let me let me be very clear here fuck serena and her delusions yep. and her cognitive dissonance i told which you this episode had me
0: fired I, I feel yeah. like if
1: there's nothing else what we're watching here is in this episode it is really 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 shining and magnifying glass on the fact that every single one of these people and i in these situations across the board have got to grapple with their reality versus what their mind is saying yeah. and they all have to cope with it in different ways and you see it in different ways and this is yeah. Serena's it's delusional, mm-hmm. oh, she yeah. fucking thinks she's the mother, mm-hmm. she is the mother in Gilead she is the mother and she can't separate the two worlds, like yeah. she right. can't really reside within both comfortably mm-hmm. so she has to create a reality that she's comfortable with and she really fucking tries and this is yeah. where you see that June has a better handle June's been doing much better June has had to do much better to fucking big down her emotions <laughs> Yeah. and going with the flow mm-hmm. but Serena tries to at this point and I think that's where she loses it when she starts to continue to get that resistance from Luke when she tries because she, I, I see what she's saying when, she's, when she brings up June initially mm-hmm. in that moment I think she's just trying to be like look we were working together like you're not seeing that we were a team. June and I got this baby out. June and I are the mothers. Like, it's me and June. It's me and June. This is Serena's desperate plea: oh, is, is right? for someone to acknowledge that she has any kind of equal standing that June has in terms of loving this child and yep. doing what's best for this child. And mm-hmm. she, she, tr- she just gets desperate. And it's not yeah. working. And she... Just takes it her serena step too far. That's the thing. She is terrible at this diplomacy. She can't can't diplomacy. She She loses it. She goes from her first statement, which we want to fucking kill her for, when she says, you're fine everything's fine your wife is safe Mr. Van Cole mm. to then this like veiled threat uh-huh. of I am the one who protected you your wife and
2: it's like I you need to understand
0: that really threw him off I feel like he actually visibly became off kilter Well, he, he did. finally and it figured was, it out yes. that was
1: the light bulb moment yeah. for him when he would oh shit my wife's safety is on the line yeah. I better fucking give this crazy woman what she wants exactly do you yeah. want to hold the baby right Because <laughs> like, you could well finally played. see him and be like, oh, so he placated uh, her with exactly what yes, she wanted. It like, just took baby, 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 for him to get there. not yes. like if he had opened with that, here, see, yeah. baby, everyone's happy, and then she could have yeah. just been yeah. gone back home and been like, you know, I have this moment of, and I get it, I get what she's trying to say. And I, I feel like there's, if there's one redeeming quality about Serena's story within this context and within all of this situational stuff, is that she. She did get that child out. She did. She had a role in that. Right. As many roles as she had of getting that child in there to begin with, she did, in that moment, let that child get out of there. And she just wants a little recognition. I don't think that's wrong for her to want Nicole to know what the story was. I get that. Because she was the wife in Gilead Married to the commander, who's supposedly the father of this mm-hmm. child. I mean, when you, if you're Han, if you're Hannah, if you're Nicole, and you're telling your story, that's a really interesting story. Like I get mm-hmm. where Serena's coming; she brings it up several times. Of, I want, she wants this legacy. She wants mm-hmm. this Nicole and this child to be her legacy. That's always been her goal. Mm-hmm. That's always been her want. Mm-hmm. She still wants to be that mother, and she wants to be part of this child's story. Of I got you out now look at your life. And Luke Mm -hmm. won't give it to her in that moment. And that's what makes her snap. And that's when she just kind of short circuits and Mm -hmm. it all goes to shit. And that stands to reason because I
2: feel like, I mean, and you two again would be able to speak better on this than I would having no children of my own. Mm -hmm. But my understanding of it is that when you have a kid, you do want your legacy to live on in some little snippet in that child, whether it's good, bad, ugly, like you want them to Tell a story about you. You want to be actively involved in this child's history. Yep. So that that little uh, insight does make her a slightly more sympathetic character, knowing that she just wants to be part of Nicole's story in some way, shape, and form. And to have the possibility of that be completely denied by someone that's going to be her caretaker
1: must be gutting. Mm, I'm that. sure. And Luke sees it. He finally sees it. He gives her what she came for, mm-hmm. as she's kind of, like, crazy person. Bye, honey. Saying goodbye, <laughs> as, like, Toella's like, pulling her away. Like, okay, that's enough of that. Yeah. And finally, Luke's like, do you want to hold her? I guess, like, just mm-hmm. hold her, you crazy person. Yeah. Like, you're going to go home and kill my wife yeah. because this meeting hasn't gone well, so maybe we should. Yeah, right. Here, baby, okay. Yeah. Like, everyone's happy. <laughs> I see. I
0: definitely struggled with that, like, whole thing because... While I can understand, you know, Serena trying to pre- impress upon him the, you know, it, while it was a threat, but she's like, I got your daughter out. Yeah. I was sitting there thinking, okay, you got your daughter out, your, your daughter with bunny ears. <laughs> you got your daughter out after somebody cut your finger off. Right. That's when you realize that right. things were bad and right. she shouldn't live here. Right. Holy shit.
2: Because it it directly affected (laughs) her. it directly affected her. She
1: lacks empathy. She can't figure out anyone else but herself. If it doesn't affect Serena, it doesn't matter. That's that's Serena. That's something we're going to have to deal with, I think, for the rest of Serena. I don't know if that's ever going to be something we see her change. I think the closest we came to changing was when she let that baby go out the door. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That was it. And she, still, and she regrets that decision every single week. See, I'm hour. wondering if she regrets it because I was really, like, so I saw the the fact that Tuella was going to be in this episode yeah. and Serena was in regular clothes. They mm-hmm. released that prior to the episode. Mm-hmm. And you see that snippet of her in the airport in the terminal in regular clothes and you see him behind her. We thought that was a flashback for a moment. Um, I thought that that, I was hoping it wouldn't be a, g- a dream sequence, but mm-hmm. I have thought about that in episode, I think it's episode four, when she asks Sue. So at some point one of the episodes she asked june if she regrets not leaving mm-hmm. and i was like and i remember thinking at that moment like holy shit does serena regret not leaving because she had that moment she mm-hmm. had that chance to leave and didn't instead she went back set into motion the events that would get nicole out mm-hmm. and that should in theory be enough and i think that is enough for her right but i was wondering if this would be an opportunity for her to be like, "Get me the fuck out of here," and it wasn't. She, she doubled she was. down. She was given that chance, though. Twello
2: said, "If yeah. you want, like, it's wh- trees it? and coconut trees, isn't? Yeah, exactly." And she's like, "I have one home."
1: Well, yeah. didn't
0: didn't he didn't he put something in her her bag though? That's, if you
2: need me, I was wondering. Well, what, who's handwriting kind of that was? Why, I think that's Twello. Yeah.
1: Oh, totally. Okay. Like, it has to be Tuelo that slipped the cell phone. He so he slips uh, if you need me, and there's a cell phone. in Okay. There, uh, in yeah. that bag, so she's got that, and she's. This was where I thought it was so great. So she has that moment with Nicole and Luke, and now she's leaving. She gets to hold Nicole, and now she's going to leave. And she is where June had that walk to her room after she asked to be dismissed mm-hmm. after having the phone call. And she holds it together till she gets to the room. And even in the room, she still keeps it together. And you can see Serena's not there yet. Serena's yeah. not June. She's not. She hasn't had to deal with what June has. Right. And she's not there, and she doesn't know how to do it. And she's being walked to the airport back to the plane Mm -hmm. with Tuella, and she's emotionally just distressed but the one line that i thought was really really important to where serena's head is still at even in that moment of emotional distress is he says she goes i want to go she goes i only have one home and then he talks about how his home was atlanta and she says to him i hope you get back there someday Mm-hmm. There is no Atlanta and Gilead. Right. Like that that's done with. So I felt like that was that one line of like Serena's still resistance in there somewhere. Because she's saying, I hope you get back there someday. To me, I'm taking her at face value, which is I'm still working on on the team of Atlanta, of getting it back to Atlanta too. That's kinda how I took it. I was like, Does that mean that Serena knows Gilead can't last? Mm-hmm.
2: Oh see, I took that in the opposite way. I took her as like Holding on to that last little shred of Gilead being the new United States of America Mm. and hoping that one day... Other people will be any that are outside of the borders will be accepting of it and want to come back to it. Yeah. Oh. That's how I read it. Like until she closed that terminal door and just went ape on yeah. all of the clothes yeah. and was just emotionally distraught because mm-hmm. her persona was one that I only have one home. My home is Gilead. I hope right. one day you get back to it. And like it read as very much drinking the Kool Aid. Like right. why don't you come back?
1: But you belong. But with it can't us. be two things. It can't be Gilead and Atlanta. No, it can't. So that's what. That's the only reason I think. Like, if she's saying, yeah, I hope you get back to Atlanta, it can't Mm -hmm. be Gilead. Right. So that that. was my only, I felt Mm -hmm. like it was just a little bit of a, Mm -hmm. just a crumb to him of I haven't drunk the Mm Kool-Aid. I'm just Mm -hmm. going about this a different way. I have this power within Gilead, Mm -hmm. and I'm going to take it down Mm -hmm. from inside. I feel like she's still there. I want her to still
2: be there. I want her to be there, too. But I also understand her needing to put forward this public persona of...
0: Yes, Gilead. I'm committed
2: to this. Exactly, I'm committed to Gilead and whatnot because Twilo can speak to whoever he wants. He's in Canada. He's a right. free agent. Um, so she needs to maintain that persona. So looking into it, yes, I can totally see where you're coming from with that, but I yep. feel like what she meant was just on the surface of just, no, I don't know. hope no, you'll
1: you. come visit Gilead once exactly. our tourism yeah. opens up and we have better foreign relations. That's kind of how okay. I viewed it. Okay, interesting. Yeah. We will see. And then also
2: because she maintained her composure and her composure and was speaking in full sentences until that door closed, yeah. and then she broke down. Right. Yeah. So I felt like she that was trying. Was, she was she trying.
1: Was. She wasn't thought, succeeding as well as June, but she was course. trying.
2: I felt like that was her last little shred of trying to put forward this persona for someone in Canada outside of Gilead. I don't know. Maybe I'm misreading it, but that's that's. I could tough. see that.
1: That that's an interesting way to look at it. I hadn't looked at it that way.
0: Mm-hmm. So then, in, in the cargo plane on the way home, that's when you know you see that that note. You know, it says if you what is it, If you need me, if you need it, it or yeah. something, and then there's a cell phone. I don't recall her having a cell phone. It's like mm. an old ass cell phone. Right. So guess, it really is was this the best that we can These do. The burner cell nice. phones. It, it's a Nokia. Nokias can survive. The I was thinking about up. that. Is like, is that what it was? Yes. Because then I was like, how's she charging this thing? No. <laughs> that's all I could think of was like how is she charging this thing but if that's what she's got then you know maybe it's fully charged and she's got some hope But she doesn't use it I mean battery on those things lasted like two exactly. weeks so she'll be fine exactly but you know so if you need me so she does have that lifeline to Canada if she needs it and mm-hmm. that just kind of made me think of you know back at the beginning of the episode when she's saying I just want to be with her but that's impossible right. is she ever going to pull her head out of her own ass right <laughs> and pick <laughs> up that cell phone and call this guy and go to Canada Serena, yeah, duh, uh, right? Like you can be with her in some way, maybe. Yeah, well, how well, diplomatic!
1: <laughs> can if Luke could like have fucking exactly. pulled his shit together and made it seem like that was a reality, yeah. instead of fuck you, you fucking crazy person. Which he maybe did at the we would have gotten there. Yes, but to that same effect, if she does pick
2: up that phone and say, "I want to be with her." How do you, you have two people that have no biological relation whatsoever to this child that are going to be grappling over who has sovereignty, who has the right to parent Nicole. She could possibly go to Canada and she gets nothing but
0: a restraining order. Exactly. That's pretty much it. That's what she would get. Right. If I were, were I'd be like... (laughs)
2: No, part, nope, sorry, hard pass on <laughs> yeah, basis. no, Absolutely no, not. Sorry. So at least if she if she returns to Gilead, she only has one home. If she returns yeah. to Gilead, she has her husband, she has some form of control, she has some level of power. I mean, she doesn't have sovereignty over herself and over her own mentality, but at least she has something. And if she were to go to Canada, she'd be just a refugee with barely a yeah. blip of hope that she would even get to spend any yeah. time with the girl, the baby that she calls a daughter.
1: Right. I think that If anything, she did see that there isn't really a life for her outside of Gilead. Yeah. What would she have? Besides a book deal. Autonomy. (laughs) Oh, her autonomy and a book deal, which when she gets
0: the book deal and she's got even
2: more autonomy. It's a win. win Wait. Wait. Women have the
1: opportunity for autonomy? What? What? That's that's insane. Over ourselves and our thoughts and our bodies?
2: No. Maybe she should take Maybe it would be better for
1: her to take that deal. But she's taking the June route. She's learning from June. June came back. June's fighting from within. I really feel like that was a signal that Serena is still fighting from within. I think there's still hope for Serena. Mark my words. Oh, because, listen. We talk about the... <laughs> Scarlett the and I are cringing right now with this. <laughs> we'll get there. This isn't it. This is not my sell me point. But okay. <laughs> this is just a point of... We talked about June and her little, like, bow down and then rise back up with yes. resistance face. And Serena tries. She really fucking tries she tantrums, to do it. and then she gets oh, back up. You know, like, and I get she it. She looks down. She sees the cell phone. She shoves it with her foot. And she's just kind of, like, emotionally trying to hold it together as she leaves Mm -hmm. Canada and heads back to Gilead. But she does do that, like, look down and then look up as she's, like, sniffling and it's, like, Mm -hmm. good try. Good try, Serena. Good try. That
0: was a really powerful scene because you got this red emergency exit light over her and the, you know, the the hull of the cargo plane is, like, shaking. Yeah. She looked like she was at DEFCON 5. That's where she looked like she was at. She was just, Mm -hmm. like, melting down inside and so... Um, I guess I was impressed by her composure in yeah, that particular I was moment. Too. I felt like
1: she's trying. She's, she is. Again, not at June's level yet, but mm-hmm. she's trying to get yep. there. It could see her trying to clamp it down a little bit. And mm-hmm. then she lands it. I was going to say, and to
2: play to your argument that she is still on the side of the Resistance, and to echo that sort of imagery of you know, looking down and then looking back up, this is a Resistance fighter in her infancy, so... Any toddler is going to have their temper tantrums, yeah. so it stands mm-hmm. to reason that she would be a bit emotionally unstable right? and not be able to hold herself together quite as well as June. So she
1: does; she holds it together. And what does she tell Fred before she leaves? She tells him that she just wants it to be over. And when she touches back down and you see him, and you can like fucking see him like through the the door of the plane, and you're just like <sighs> just distaste, smile. just uh, sick again. Like we're back <laughs> here That's with this motherfucker. Like you got Tuella, who's just so charming it every way yes. and then you got this fucking asshole which can we talk about Tuella for a second are you familiar with Parenthood no no okay so his character on Parenthood is kind of <laughs> awesome and it's really great to see it like to see him again I'm not familiar with him in anything other than his character in Parenthood where he is married in the so Parenthood is um, a show that follows multiple families all siblings that are adults and He is married to one of the siblings in the main family. So he's married into this like close knit family. And his wife is a lawyer and he's raising a only child daughter. And he is the stay at home dad. And so it's just kind of like constantly a thing that's Mm -hmm. going through this up through this series, which ran multiple episodes, eight nine seasons not episodes and um but it was just interesting because i always see him as like the wife to the lawyer the, the husband to the lawyer the stay-at-home dad and to see him in this role where he's like no let me get you out let me give you a book deal let me give you something yeah. Serena was like it just kind of a cool nod if you're familiar with his parenthood character i, think
0: I want to watch this now. It, it, it's a
1: really cool show and it's a great his storyline and his wife's storyline is really interesting they grapple with that uh, she work grapples a lot with being the working mom Mm-hmm. and he grapples a lot with being the stay-at-home dad and he wants to go back to work and he needs the support from her that he's mm-hmm. not getting. It's really interesting. It's great. And he's raising this like really brilliant little independent, fierce woman of a daughter and it's really cool to watch him do that as well and to be married to this really awesome woman. Seems like a fascinating... It's, it's that, cool, like... but it's just cool that that's his character in that show and this that's is my his character in the <laughs> show. <Yeah. laughs> Look at you! Yeah! <laughs> All right, you have, you have a new assignment, a new show to binge watch. <laughs> okay, here Fair I I know what I'm doing it when we're good. done with I've this. never seen the end of it. There's a couple seasons I never saw the end of that I will get back to. It's a great show. <sighs> that being said, so she touches down, and she says to Fred, once she gets there, he asks her basically, like, how did it go? And she goes, she's perfect, and it's over. And I feel like genuinely so with Serena, she was ready to move on. She I had yes, that she closure of, there's no life for me there. Mm-hmm. Let me deal with the life I have here. I'm ready. I've, mm-hmm. I've moved on from all this and I'm ready. And fucking Fred, man, he goes, it doesn't have to be. And I'm like, what? Oh, yeah. <laughs> what? And that's it. You're left with that. MC and scene. Serena's face is kind of like, what the fuck, Fred? I'm kind of like, what the fuck, Fred? And that's oh, the end of it. We move him. on to the grocery store. We're back at the grocery store with off Matthew and Serena. And <sighs> I have feelings about the grocery store. Who's in those jars? Oh, I don't know. Pickled
2: something, huh? Um, did something. It looks like entrails. I was entrails. like, that's
0: not kimchi. It oh, must be pickled something.
1: <laughs> you uh, know what?
0: What do they call those? Deformed babies? Oh, my God. Honestly, that's exactly... those? No, that's, that's what I thought at first. That's exactly what
2: it looked like to me as well. It looked like, embryotic, um, and, a- like embryonic holding from formaldehyde. Specimens ex- in a
0: jar and not edible specimens because we know they're not eating babies. No. no
2: that,
1: again, I'm wondering weird. if they're trying to make these grocery stores look desperate. Like... I, I really can't figure out if they're just trying to make it look the way it looks. Well, no, the, the grocery stores are
2: very dystopian in their in their style and their Ooh, aesthetic, and very okay. iso- uh, isolationist as well by the fact that everything is very stark yes. white, like intense bright. It's like, definitely not humans.
0: our traditional modern mm-hmm. grocery store. I no. get where they're going with the the everything is white and bright lights. It has a very and like sterile and, feel. Yeah, and a then very they communist have, feel. They have it does. This, like, yes, these very like nasty jars, which maybe, maybe one of the jars has a whole head of Napa cabbage in it. Maybe. Or maybe it has a whole head of Napa baby in it. Or maybe Napa baby. I don't know. But either way, they're doing kimchi
1: wrong. <laughs> you need a bucket and a hole in your backyard, obviously. Apparently, yeah. At least
0: that's been my experience. Either,
1: either
2: way, but to have this conversation with of Matthew and June in front of all of these jars that look like they might be fermented kimchi gone wrong or they might be actual aborted fetuses. (sighs) Like... The fact that you have this visualization at at all that make that likens back to that it was is weird. It oh, was it's really weird. Oh, it's a very visceral emotion it's that you like get.
1: just contrasting, like beautiful Toronto airport, fucking Serena's in normal clothes, and oh god, we're back in Gilead, just like, right back at <laughs> that's it. That's just how I felt when I saw Fred. It's how I felt when I right. see them. Just in the conversation that they have between unhappy um, <sighs> and June in this mm. episode, in oh, this scene, hurts. just like. Brought me right back down. You start off the episode, like we were saying, just on cloud nine of, like, finally hope, finally victory, Mm -hmm. finally allowing ourselves to feel some happiness in this world. Mm -hmm. And now we're back to of Matthew, and she just seems off. She doesn't have it in her. It brought me back to that first quote in the beginning about being wary that June uses and... And this um, whole scene was just wary to me. Of well, yeah. Matthew is
2: just a harbinger of doom as far as I'm concerned at this point. Because every conversation... <laughs> because every time we see Of Matthew, it's... On the heels of something that's positive she and a something fucking
1: that... She is a fucking buzz She is a buzz <laughs> <laughs> She is the constant reminder that we're in fucking Gilead. We yes. better Thanks. remember. We know where we are. Hate. Good Christ, could you just be normal for a second? But this is but the this is time. best of being be normal. But she is going through the motions of, of Matthew, but she is not... There is no heart in it. She doesn't even... You just feel it in her that yeah. there is something off. And June, you see it in June's face as she's like... The fuck am i talking to what's your deal and she starts to side-eye her side-eye her you see it in her she's like actually looking to the side of her like what the fuck is happening
2: exactly and well and what's fantastic is that of matthew starts to side-eye june when june is actually trying to be sympathetic and going through the proper responses that one hand would to another when finding out that of matthew is pregnant like june Understands that Of Matthew is going through this incredibly complex and these incredibly complex emotions. And instead of being like, Are you fucking serious? Have you fucking told Matthew yet? Her response is very Gilead esque and very sympathetic to how she views Of Matthew because Of Matthew's public persona is such that. I've drank in the Kool-Aid and everything's amazing and fantastic. And I hope that your husband will bring back, I will bring back Nicole because you have fantastic judgment. You'd never marry someone who wouldn't do that. And then to have this scene where of Matthew is so emotionally distraught. And June is trying to be sympathetic to that character that of Matthew has put forward by giving that very Gilead esque response. And then you see of Matthew's eye roll.
0: Yeah. Oh, was interesting. really okay. refreshing. Yes. I enjoyed that. And then mm. that's when I was like, here we are. We're going to start to see the real deal. Yeah. I yes. knew it was coming. Yep.
1: Yeah. I mean, she doesn't have another baby in her. Like she, I mean, literally she does, but she. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> but oh, she we shouldn't laugh about mentally that. Yeah. Cannot mentally. go
1: through it again. Like, right. I mean, you just see it on her. Like, I'm just, I'm not doing this again. Four? What the Four, four- yeah. And I mean, can say again, again, oh, I love like, that moment where it's ugh. June to just be like, again. but just, I mean, it was just wary. That's just the only word I can use in this scene was mm-hmm. just I just felt just emotionally exhausted watching yes. them have this conversation of just like, here we fucking go again. It just mm-hmm. never ends. We're on this endless loop of Gilead bullshit of mm-hmm. now. We're going to do it again with all the babies, and of Matthew's just over it. She's she's going to crack. Like, we're seeing her slowly decline, slowly mm-hmm. crack. She's going to lose it, and I don't know how she's going to lose it.
2: I feel like this is that slight turning point for of Matthew that by the fact that she's like, yes, again, I have another baby coming, and that acknowledgement of... The fact that she was happy for June that Nicole got yeah, out, yep. I feel like what's going to happen is of Matthew is going to ask uh, June's assistance to get her child out mm. because and that's probably going to be the end of of Matthew. Yeah. yeah, I feel like this is the this is the very beginnings of uh, of those cogs in motion. Yeah, because you start to see that little sliver of of Matthew of just desperation and just right. hating the fact that this is happening again. And the fact that they made, again, one word, one sentence right. with that long pause on either side of it, I feel like this, what's going to happen is if Matthew is going to ask June to, to help get that child out, and June is going to try to oblige her, because mm-hmm. as much of an asshole as of Matthew has been, it's just because she's drinking the juice and she's right. in survivalist mode. Yes. Right. Survivalist anyone, mode. Exactly. Yes. And if anyone can understand that, it would be June. Mm-hmm. And like Scarlett said, this might just be the beginning of the end for our sweet, poor, darling brainwashed of Matthew.
1: Yeah, and I think that's the the thing that I kept going back to in this episode was they're definitely painting her as the brainwashed Mm -hmm. person, the brainwashed handmaid. I mean, she's the buzzkill. She's the one that keeps bringing everyone back to like, oh, really, we're here again? Like, she's Mm -hmm. frustrating. But I feel like she... It's just been such a reminder that everyone's doing the same thing that Matthew's doing in different ways. June's doing it in different ways. The way mm-hmm. that June, like, as much as we've seen so many flashbacks from June June over the seasons, I mean, she's really kind of walled herself off, off to Luke, given where she's at at this point. Mm-hmm. And for her to have to deal with going back into the emotion of explaining herself to Luke and explaining that she's not the same person she was Mm -hmm. and having to say almost a goodbye to him that we'll get into in a minute. It was just a reminder that of Matthew is just dealing with this the same way Everyone else is, but she's dealing with it in her own way. So, whereas June is stealing herself and resistance, uh, that's the circumstances June's been dealt. She was with the Waterfords, which, as much as they're fucking awful in so many ways, they gave her a lot of leeway. I mean, if you think about a typical handmaid's life, it's not June's life. June hasn't had a typical handmaid's life. Now she's with Lawrence. I mean, she's listening to cassette tapes in their basement. Like, she doesn't have the same experience that of Matthew probably has, and so I really feel like... Of Matthew's cognitive dissonance is just her way of getting through the day, the same way June's getting through her day, the same way everyone else is just trying to get through their day and survive another day in Gilead. Mm -hmm. It's brutal to watch of Matthew kind of get worn down to a point where I think we're going to watch her just snap.
0: I'm wondering, is this the part where, as Gilead goes on, is this the beginning of us getting to see what happens to handmaids when... You know the uteri just stop working when they age out. Yeah, when they're like, yes. all right, you know what? You gave us five kids. We're gonna call it good. Thanks, you are yeah. put out to pasture. What right. is being put out to pasture for a handmaid? Right, and they don't even have that yet we because don't I don't see think
1: elderly people. I don't we think they see yeah, them at all. There's no right? old
0: people. I mean, maybe. I mean Lawrence kinda of qualifies okay, as anything. I feel really. like a lot of the commanders and their wives and stuff, they're kind of they're definitely like in the fifty plus crowd, but that's right. not old. No. But you don't
1: you like know, what also
0: happens to the handmaids? We don't
1: see grandparents. Yeah, there's no, no grandparents. Like, like, where oh, did, well, we see Serena's well. mom. Yeah, She's Serena's the close moments to a She's
2: very well preserved I'm yeah sure. <laughs> but what's fascinating about that is that in the book serena is described as decrepit and a little bit yeah and in the show you have serena being this vibrant beautiful like youthful woman serena was also like basically an opera singer in the book too exactly oh, I forgot about that yeah. oh yeah okay so yep. so there is a bit of a deviation from the book in the show mm. here but um yeah, that's a that's a really compelling point. I wonder about what that. happens? So by the fact that they're again pushing this again moment mm-hmm. with of Matthew, like yeah. what's gonna happen to her after she births this child? Yeah, again, I, I,
0: how I mean, I, I, how long can they keep going? Do they just push them until eventually they die in childbirth or just like things stop working? It, like having kids takes a physical toll on your body and these right. women are basically broodmares. Yeah. That's all they fucking mm-hmm. are. The whole thing with of Matthew and June having that conversation of I'm late you know, again there's the that again. It just makes me think of I mean, hey, let's just throw it out there. If you get rid of abortion in this country, that's going to be a constant conversation. Right. Mm -hmm. That's going to be a constant because, you know, what were people doing that didn't have access to abortion 70 years ago? They were just getting pregnant left and fucking right. Mm -hmm. My great-grandmother had 11 kids. You know, my other great-grandmother had nine kids. The other great-grandmother had six kids. My husband's great-grandmother had... Eight kids, and the last one killed her. Oh my this God. is just going to be normal if yeah, that's right. what happens right. because you don't have any agency to say, I'm done. Yeah. My body's had enough. That's it. Right. Mm -hmm. And that, I mean, these handmaids, that's it. That's all they're supposed Mm -hmm. to do is reproduce. Yeah. Well, it's like the Duggars.
1: I mean, the Duggars' mother. Oh, boy. I don't know all the details, but I mean, when we were around 19, 20, 21 children, Uh I mean, her body was just done. She couldn't go carry to full term, I believe, is the issue she was having. Towards the end, I mean, it's physically demanding of your body. Your body can't carry that many Mm -hmm. children. Mm -hmm. But that was an interesting thing, too. Um, It went right over my head. It was a moment when Luke was talking to the cashier while June's trying to call him. And I really thought, I was trying to figure out where the show was going with this cashier. I thought the cashier was throwing him some shade for using, like, refugee, like, government money. At first, when he was like, Luke's like, wow, I don't know how people can afford this stuff. And... The cashier responsible. Well, most people don't have to. And at first, I was like, "Wait, what is happening with this conversation?" That I'm like, "Oh, he's buying diapers. He's Nobody buying needs diapers. diapers. No one needs diapers." The fact that of Matthew has had four children, like that's kind of unique. Like. June had Nicole mm-hmm. and all of a sudden was like prime handmaid. Everyone wants her. And I mean, she was problematic handmaid number one. Right. As far as I can tell, there was. <laughs> and yet she was still in high demand. But she had a baby. So all of a sudden she's instantly high demand. Of oh, Matthew must be like supreme handmaid. Is she in the same family? She's like, super I don't handmade. know what her, her right. story is. But it is interesting when you talk about how many children your body's physically capable of having. Mm-hmm. In Gilead world and in Canada world, mm. babies are. Not something that happens every day. So for Of to continue getting pregnant, that's got to be something they acknowledge at some point. Right. I mean, it's it's just rare. I don't mm-hmm. know how many kids she had pre-Gilead. But we've agreed that it must be at least one. We're guessing, but this seems she's like, clearly fertile, Myrtle. Regardless, oh yeah, yeah. Like she can get pregnant.
2: Well, she said that she's had three children in her in the last episode um, during the uh, baptism scene. She mentioned that she's had three. Right, but whether you, or not they're pre or yes, post Gilead, we don't know
1: how right? How many? They haven't acknowledged that right specifically but we have to assume at least one probably was pre-gilead at least one was pre-gilead we know at least
2: one was during gilead because one was Mm -hmm. present during the baptism scene so now you're gonna have two gilead children and regardless of whether or not they were pre or post gilead this is her fourth child that, that girl that she is doesn't get to mother and mm-hmm. she hasn't she's been removed from all of her children mm-hmm. one way or the other. Mm-hmm. And I mean doing that once would cause an emotion or an emotional and psychological wreck with someone <sighs> Absolutely. twice might cause someone to go over the deep end. Four times, girl's gonna go postal. Ooh, I just had a thought. Oh yeah? <laughs> I
0: keep coming back to this uh, you know, anti-choice thing. So On, you know, the woman's end, if there's, you know, no safe avenue for abortion and she, you know, doesn't have, you know, agency over her own body and she just keeps getting pregnant, but hey, can't, can't have an abortion. How many times is she going to get to go through that? If she can't prevent a pregnancy on her own because of whatever reason or situation that she's in and she just keeps getting pregnant, but we can't get rid of the baby and you're just going to constantly adopt out these kids, And that's a whole other thing. Yeah. But, you know, the emotional wreckage that it must
2: cause. Right. I can't imagine. And the fact that she hasn't told Matthew yet, and using the excuse of, oh, well, everyone's been so concerned with baby Nicole. Yeah. Is she going to? Or is she just going to choose? Is she going to
1: try to... Terminate her pregnancy I on her wonder. own? That would be really
2: interesting. That's where see. I went with this. Yeah. Is that she's going to attempt to terminate her
1: pregnancy and it's probably oh, gonna kill her in the uh, process. Well yeah. that would be relevant. That would bring it right on home to where we're at these days where outlawing abortion isn't going to stop abortion. It's just Mm going to make it less safe for the women trying to get them. Exactly. Like, look at where
2: our drink of choice was made, Kansas City, Missouri. There is one functioning abortion clinic, one functioning Planned Parenthood in the whole of Missouri. Mm -hmm. And it stays alive and afloat purely off of donations, which means that in that one state... There's one place that women can go and have a safe abortion and know that they're going to be protected and know that they're going to be safe and have sovereignty over their own bodies.
1: And while it has, while it's staying open purely on a, donations in general, mm-hmm. right now it's staying open purely on the fact that a judge has allowed it to stay open mm-hmm. while it reviews the case that Missouri hasn't renewed their medical license. Mm-hmm. And June 21st, I believe, is when they're going to make a decision on that so the state has to come forward with why they're not renewing their Mm -hmm. license and then a judge is going to on that same day look at the evidence as to why they blocked the renewal Mm -hmm. and decide whether or not the renewal can go forth which means by the time
2: this episode goes live that decision will have been made and we'll get back to you on that there's a very
1: strong possibility we're going to get back to you on that. that we'll have a state in the united states that doesn't have an abortion clinic for its citizens of that state and they'll be going to Illinois or bordering states for a safe abortion and health care, which is what it is. It's health care.
2: It's health care. It is. And that's if they can make it that far as well. Yeah. Because the vast majority of people that live in Missouri tend to fall under a certain poverty line. And the notion of being able to take off... X amount of days from work and travel six to eight hours outside of their home to be able to access these abortion rights, mm-hmm. you're going to have a yep. lot of coat, uh, coat hanger abortions. And
1: morning. I believe that they have changed the law in Missouri that you have to have wait 72 hours. Yeah, 72 hours. So mm-hmm. if you're going to that one Planned Parenthood in Missouri, you mm-hmm. have to plan for a 72-hour 72 72 hour time frame of mm-hmm. initial visit and actual abortion mm-hmm. before... You can go back to your job, go back to your mm-hmm. life, go back to your home. That's mm-hmm. three days missing work. That's three days in a hotel. That's Exactly. That's three days in a hotel. That's the big one. I mean, missing
2: work is one thing, but three days of a hotel for people that fall below, below a poverty line. That's insurmountable. That's just that exactly, impossible. possible. Exactly. To be able to afford $300 for, or even let's assume you're staying in the cheapest hotel possible, $150 plus travel costs. Yeah, it's daunting. It's daunting. Yeah, exactly. And these are people that you're expecting to be able to have a child and be able to afford to have a child and give it the life that it deserves. It's an
1: out-of-the-frying-pan-into-the-fire situation. And we touched on it on the last episode, but the reason that the state is saying that they are not renewing the license is because they have... um, violated some of the laws that missouri has put in place for abortion clinics one of those being that you have to give a public exam Mm -hmm. for a medicational abortion and planned parenthood is saying that initially they weren't giving those but there's a little discrepancy in terms of how it happened in Mm -hmm. terms of that's what the state is using in terms of not renewing their license is Mm -hmm. some kind of discrepancy in not performing that pelvic exam, which Planned Parenthood is saying, well, we didn't think we needed a plan, a pelvic exam for a medicational abortion. Oh, because it's medically unnecessary? Right. Hmm. Because it is. there isn't a physical abortion happening. It's you take a pill and the abortion happens. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this isn't even going to be
0: a situation where that particular Planned Parenthood is going to be like, okay, you know what? Fine, if that's how it's going to be. We, we'll, we'll say we did. Right. The pelvic exam, mm-hmm. right? But it wouldn't surprise me if they were putting plants within that clinic to make sure that those pelvic exams were happening. And if they weren't, there's going to be a whistleblower, and then it goes to the state, and then they lose their license well, because that they're seems, not adhering to, mm-hmm. you know, the statutes.
1: That seems to be what the discrepancy already is. Okay. And so I'm not sure where that information is coming from. Mm-hmm. but They're claiming that they didn't that they violated something uh-huh. logistically. In the past, in Planned Parenthood, saying that wall wasn't in place, and there's a little discrepancy in terms of the dates, in terms of how they follow the new procedures that the state put in place, which is basically Planned Parenthood having to jump through hoops in Mm -hmm. order to stay legal, to stay open. And now it's coming to a point where it's going to be a judge in Missouri at a federal level that decides if this one Planned Parenthood will stay open or if Missouri will go dark and not have an abortion clinic. And be the first state in the United States since Wade. I'm not sure if that's since accurate. Since Rovinoid, you that's might be accurate. Right? Yeah,
2: yeah that's, that is accurate. So, uh, so that's a petrifying reality. That's a uh, parallel in Gilead that we have to
1: contend with. And yeah. here uh, we are.
0: We told you we were going to do this, folks. We <laughs> just did it. Here <laughs> yeah. it is. We
1: yeah. do have this last scene of the episode, which is kind of the bombshell of... Of Matthew and June are talking in the grocery store. Mm-hmm. They're having this, this moment of just exhaustion and weariness, and she reveals the pregnancy. And then as she's finishing her statement, she says, I really think everything's gonna be okay. Mm-hmm. As the guardians begin to search the store for June, and we don't know it's June right away. It is the most ominous feeling that I have felt since the opener of season two. Oh, the mm-hmm. soundtrack for this when they're
0: walking her out of the oh, store. So, it heavy. Is so reminiscent of Episode three of Game of Thrones final season, <laughs> like with when they're waiting for the you know oh, the interesting. For the the oh, yeah, that's right. what it, it put that anxiety in yeah. me I was like, Oh no, not I can't do this twice right. in the same month.
1: Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah, it definitely had that same yeah. sense of doom of I I genuinely felt just absolutely terrified. I was back in that moment of like as she's getting in that van, I'm like it could be fucking anything. Yeah. There is there's so many things that she's done wrong. Like they could be pulling her in for anything. There's not even she a even way to guess. question her. Wait, which and thing are you <laughs> talking about <laughs> no, so And before we can even begin to guess what they're taking her in for or where they're taking her to, we get the final uh-huh. scene of her and what she did with those cassette tapes the and recording. her her recording to Luke. That is private, it. and it mm-hmm. is just gutting. It ripped me apart. This was yeah. <laughs> this scene did me in. There were so many just absolutely incredible things. Just from the beginning, the first thing that jumps out at me in hindsight was the fact that it was the first time, I believe, in this show that we've jumped back and forth between Gilead and Canada mm-hmm. within the same scene. Mm-hmm. So you keep getting shots of Luke listening to the recording in Canada while he's free. And he's out for like a jog or a walk or something. He's out. Mm-hmm. And it's winter. It's always fucking winter. Do they ever get summer? They don't. In um, Canada? It's Canada. Canada. Canada never gets summer. Eh? <laughs> Gilead. Apparently post-Gilead, like summer's just not a thing. But he's outside again. And you keep getting shots of her in a basement in her handmaid's uniform in Gilead juxtaposed with him being free in Canada mm. and it is just wrenching it it absolutely just gutted me the scene that was hard that it was, was just
0: oh man I, I if you had that opportunity to sit there and record this and I mean she's got 60 minutes of tape here I'm surprised she didn't go on longer <laughs> yes. I'm like you no, got 60 no. minutes of time she to talk it about pretty quick I mean, maybe yeah. she's saving that for the part two cassette. I don't really. <laughs> I mean, know. There, there, might, be more. there might be more. There might be more. Sixty minutes well, of
2: cassette
1: here, or baby. maybe we yeah. just got the
2: Reader's Digest version. I of guess the recording. we did. One, but my but guess is going to be.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I feel like it all just flowed so well together. But it was yeah. really, it was really just beautiful. I mean, the way she lays it all out for him of. Mm. It was so heart-wrenching. It really was. Mm-hmm. This is where I'm at. And that's what she tells him, basically, is I've changed. For her to say to him that Nicole... I mean, she first of all, she acknowledges that, like, it's all just weird. She says, Luke, Hi. This is so weird. I'm sorry. I'm sorry about that. And she, she's communicating communicating mm-hmm. through cassette tape, which I mean, if this is in, in modern times, the cassette oh. tape is a dated thing to begin with. Archaic technology at best. What she's doing yeah. in order to communicate with him, and mm-hmm. she does take that moment to kind of acknowledge, like, okay, so this is where we're at. Mm-hmm. And she says, "There are some things you, there are some things you met, Nicole."
2: Go ahead. Which, by the way, if um, I kept trying to catch the name of the cassette that he uh, that he threw in, yeah, um, and I could not for the life of me pause it in the right spot to uh, to see what the name is. So, uh, dear listener, if you happen to catch the name of the cassette that June overdubbed with this Mm -hmm. recording, please let us know because I'd love to go more into detail
1: on that. But it is the same song. So yeah. it is the one that she listened to initially and then right. she chose in that moment to record over mm-hmm. that. So you get the song and he's at first just mm-hmm. kind of listening to it and like, Completely what is confuzzled. happening? Why did someone send me this song <laughs> from, I'm guessing, the 70s? It sounds like a 70s I think you make me feel like Jans a 70s song, yeah. And he's it, just kind of confused and then you just get her voice and it's just a lot to deal with. Um, but she tells him that She finally acknowledges the fact that you're probably thinking a lot more of Nicole's journey into the world as opposed to her journey across the border. And she tells him that this is how Nicole came to be. And she finally gives him that information that I thought Serena might give him in that moment of... Mm -hmm he kind of calls Serena out when he's talking to her at the airport of where does your husband play into this role and I really thought that was an opportunity for Serena to be like she's not yeah, my husband that? isn't even the father of this kid right. we just needed to get her to get pregnant and we found a driver or something mm-hmm. like that and it doesn't happen there so June finally gets to be the one to explain to Luke that no this isn't Waterford's child mm-hmm. this is a child that was born out of love. And it was yeah. such a powerful statement for her to finally give it that that gravity that mm-hmm. it has. That she hasn't really said. I don't believe that she's called her affair with Nick a love affair. It's, But it's there. We've all seen it. And now mm-hmm. she's acknowledging it. She's having to explain this situation to Luke. Which is just so complicated in so many ways. Mm-hmm. And she tells him that she's ashamed. And it just broke me down the way she yeah. she does have to grapple with the fact that he's now raising a child of hers that isn't his. And mm-hmm. that's just a strange thing to wrap your head around regardless. This is her husband and he's raising a child that is not hers. And she's not there to raise this child either. And she continues on to say, I was ashamed. I had built a life here of a sort. And that's what she had to do. She had mm-hmm. to survive. She needed that touch. It's what she it goes back to the beginning where she says You know, she's missing Luke and she talks about how much she wishes he was there to hold her, but that she needs touch and she needs love and that you're going to die without love. Mm -hmm. That's what she found with Nick is a love and an autonomy and something in this world of Gilead that she had control over. And that was something that it was her only choice that she's gotten Mm -hmm. was this affair, this relationship with Nick that she now has to explain to her husband who's caring for the love child of this. It's just it it never ceases to amaze me how strange of a situation and how poignant it is that she has to explain it. Mm -hmm. And she tells him about her real name and she tells him that it's okay for him to move on too. And I think that Luke's kind of been stagnant and he needs to hear this and he needs to hear it from June of I have found a life, sort of, in the mm-hmm. life that I have. And you should do the same. And it's okay for you. You deserve love. You'll always have mine. But yeah. I understand if you need more than that. I need you to know that Nicole, she was born out of love. Her name is Holly. Her father is a driver named Nick. You met him. in that moment of like, holy shit, oh, that guy. Oh, what a knife like, twist. Like just putting it, oh. in, putting it all together of like he's finally seeing exactly what's happening here. hmm and that was such a
2: poignant moment for me as well, like, to have June release release him and to release Luke of any guilt that he has and saying, I'm doing what I need to survive yeah. and allowing him to do the same was such a powerful moment because you so rarely get that with, uh, with couples that have a fracturing and especially one that's as violent as June and Luke's split. Ugh. So to hear her give him permission was a uh, was life. Right? Yeah,
0: and I think it was going to help him get over his survivor's guilt. He absolutely yeah, survivor. He does He does. Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. You know, like you said, he is stagnant and I think he just sits there and he marinates in his guilt and he thinks about all the ways that he could possibly, you know, like get her back and get Hannah back and I think that he
2: needs to entertain the idea that that might not happen. Mhm. Right, yeah. it's because it's a very real possibility well, yeah, that he's it's... not going to get her back, yeah. and June is acknowledging that as well by the fact that she's saying, I'm not the same person I was, and I need you to do what's going to be best for you because I'm doing mm-hmm. what I need to to yeah, survive. Right. And you she acknowledges to that
1: she's still trying to get Hannah out, I'm doing my part here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You it goes back to what Moira said of she has different plans for you, and she's telling him right mm-hmm. now, like these plans. I have to do what I have to do to survive. Right. And at the end of the day, that's what everyone in this world is doing, of Matthew included. That's just what mm-hmm. I keep saying. Think- we keep saying she drank the Kool-Aid, and Everybody she did to an extent. But this survival. is her way of getting right. through her life as it is now. And that's her way of... Her just exposing those platitudes and saying them with the gusto that she says them (laughs) it's just her way of getting through the day of explaining her situation to herself and you see june trying to explain her situation to luke and it's just it's it's brutal it's it's brutal the whole scene just it's intense but it she gets to the point of i'm doing what i have to do to survive Mm -hmm. you should do the same i am still trying to get hannah out And then you remember that June has changed. She's at a point now Mm -hmm. where, yes, she is trying to get Hannah out. She is trying to get information on Hannah. But she's also just there to fuck shit up. And she needs Luke to just handle his shit in Canada. Right. And do what he needs to do. And she's doing what she needs to do here. And it was really just, it was a great way to explain it to him. It really was. So, do you have anything else to say about the phone call between or the message I don't Luke I'm all set so we just have that final episode the final scene Jesus Christ (laughs) we just have the final scene where she is going to we have the conversation with Luke and June and the cassette recording and I got so caught up in that that I forget as we cut back that the peril that June's in as she's in the back of this van and it was so reminiscent of the end of season one and the beginning of season two and she's just climbing into the stand Mm -hmm. she doesn't know why she's not getting any explanation and we are just going to wait to see where she ends up but instead of an entire season in between we find out instantly Mm -hmm. that the first thing we hear is Lydia which Uh, is the worst (laughs) voice that you could possibly hear as soon as she is there to greet you and I'm like holy shit. You know shit. things are bad. The this second Aunt Lydia shows up, you know, yes, idea. bad yes. shit is going to happen. Yeah, yeah, she is not in a good place, At and all. I don't
2: trust her, and I don't want to be around her. And then to have Lydia, I, to have June ask, like, where am I and what's going on? And to have Aunt Lydia respond, well, aren't you a nosy Nelly?
1: Yes, and she actually gives her <sighs> actual side eye. Like, you <laughs> see the way the bonnet is, and the way those angel wings are, yeah, yep. handmade. and when you get... Aunt Lydia's greeting of, blessed day, dear. And all you get from June is this actual side eye as she looks up and is like, what's going on? And then you get Lydia's comment of, aren't you a nosy Nelly? And in that moment, like, I mean, I know my rational brain wants to tell me that there's no way they're going to kill off June, I didn't care. I didn't care about any rational anything. I was terrified for mm-hmm. her. I was absolutely terrified in this moment. I had no wherewithal when I watched it the first time as to paying attention to any clues as to where she was. I've I thought maybe they were in a hotel room. It wasn't I just wasn't that mm-hmm. focused on where they were. In hindsight, they're clearly in some kind of dressing room of an old studio. In hindsight. I, I didn't pick up on that. And the first time I was just like, What is happening? All those boxes are showing up as she's meant to disrobe mm-hmm. and I didn't think clothes. I'm like what kind of Torture devices in those boxes. Everything was terrifying. I actually I thought she was in a Jezebel's for a second. Oh, oh and I was okay. like, wait a minute, I don't get this at all because
0: I'm Lydia's involved. If it right. was like yes. just Fred, I would be like, oh, okay, great. Now he's mm-hmm. gonna have her play Handmaid in bed. Cool. Wow. wow. <laughs> so different, Fred. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but only no. innovative. Um, so that whole like you know, TV set really mm-hmm. threw me. I was
1: like, oh god, what are we
0: doing? Oh, this when she came Hollywood. out, I was
1: like Wow, they're really gonna make her the face of propaganda like that. Mm-hmm. This is my first. Right. As soon as you see the set and the yeah. the cameras and all the professional mm-hmm. setup of this is some kind of photo shoot slash right. video something that they're doing. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, this is bad. That's what those outfits were. That's what that right. hideous handmaid's thing was in that box as she mm-hmm. pulled it off. And I'm like, what is happening? And it all fell into place of. Something is happening, and it isn't until we see Fred and Serena that I'm like, oh, fuck, this is what we're doing. Mm -hmm. (laughs)
2: This is what we're doing. twinge of an acknowledgement that she hears June's voice. Yeah. But then just sort of shook it off as though it were more of a chill than an actual human pleading for information. And I love the the
1: question too because it's exactly what I I was thinking of. Serena, what did you do? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Is what she asks her. And June just loses any kind of like before she had to really steal herself for the moment. And in this moment she's just, she's not thinking like that anymore. She's I mean, she's openly asking Serena, what did you do (laughs) in front of all these other people? Serena won't even look at her. Mm -hmm. You get Fred, and this is the first thing I went, oh, no. And all the pieces started to fall into place (laughs) when he had those white cords back. We talked about last episode how <gasps> he had the black I didn't cords. even notice the yes, white cords. Yes, he has white cords now. His black cord days are over. He's out of punishment, out of mourning, whatever that signified. Yeah, I was about that. He has his white cords back. And when you see as he steps into the scene that he has his white cords and you go. And that was the first sign to me that I was like, oh, no, this is not what this isn't good. Mm-hmm. Oh, by the way, do you guys know what those
0: white cords are? No, no please. please. They are, I looked it up because it was bothering me for yeah. the last mm-hmm. few episodes. They are called egglets or egglets, eggwilets, mm-hmm. sorry. And they are just kind of a symbolic um, wardrobe fixture that is meant to hearken back to the days when men had to like uh, tie their armor
1: oh, together okay. oh. at the
0: shoulder. So, so, so egglets or egglets. So the commanders have given themselves metaphorical. They honors. are super important to themselves. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, how apropos! Yes, Shad has
1: his white egglets back, and whatever that signifies, it seems to be he is finally back into a position of power. Which stands to reason because they wouldn't allow him this
2: platform if he weren't in a position of power to be able to address an international audience on live
1: television, no less. And that is why I think it was was Fred finally making a move. I feel like, so we get that conversation as Serena's walking in where the commanders all want to make a bigger power play, but they don't know what to do given the constraints that Mm -hmm. they have. And... I feel like it was Fred who finally put all the pieces in in motion of this is what we can do. Mm-hmm. And by the time Serena comes back, I don't think Serena was on the pa- same page as Fred. Mm-hmm. And she was as blindsided as he was. I'm curious to see what her reaction will be moving forward. Um, but she wouldn't look at June in mm-hmm. the face. But clearly for Fred, this was his ability to get his power back. Mm-hmm. I, that's what they've been jamming down our throat this season is that he's nothing without Serena and Serena's right. nothing without him. And if they can be that power couple, and how do they get to be a power couple? They get to make a play for their baby. And they get to look like a sympathy a sympathetic figure on the world stage and they get to be the heroes within Gilead. And this is exactly the opportunity that Fred was looking for and he made his move.
2: And he'd been planting the seed of that move since she as soon as she landed and she said
1: and now it's over and he said,
2: What if it doesn't have to be? Yeah.
1: That's where that's where you're getting the l- only life out of Serena. The only way that she's been able to subscribe to this Gilead life has been with her drive to become a mother. And Fred's playing into that. He set up the situation. I really feel like I don't think of Fred generally as a manipulative character. I he lacks like the mental capacity, yeah, usually. Like <laughs> he really just isn't that forward-thinking. Mm-hmm. But I, I just feel like he has his prints all over this entire setup
2: as uh, begrudgingly i'm inclined to agree with you on that because typically speaking what we've seen from fred is a lack of understanding a lack of human compassion and a lack of looking at the picture as a whole and in a case like this utilizing nicole's kidnapping with bunny ears would allow him to get back his power and get back his eaglets
0: yep He's, he's definitely not thinking of that child. He's not thinking of Serena. Mm-hmm. He knows well, exactly how to play to her weakness. He knew what to say to her when
1: she got off that fucking plane. But yeah. this is Fred's fatal flaw because this is the major issue with this plan. Is, and I mean, I'm curious to see if maybe it's not actually a major issue. He's not biologically the father. So this could all be very easily alleviated by a... DNA test, which mm-hmm. is going to prove that Fred isn't the father. I don't know if Gilead is going to take that information seriously, but I'm sure that Canada is going to do a paternity test on him, on Nicole. Mm-hmm. And as soon as those genetics don't line up, I don't know what those implications are going to be, other than Fred's vastly misjudging the situation, in my opinion. Although I don't He's know if do. <laughs> I don't know if Gilead's really. Necessarily going to care about genetic results, at least on the face, although internally I'm sure it's going to matter. And In Fred's really throwing himself under the bus here. Internally, yes, it would matter, but I feel like on
2: the face of things, I mean, if Gilead isn't worried about the parentage of the mother and still calling it the the wife's child, yeah. then they're not right. going to be concerned okay. with the father. They're going to be concerned with whose property is that handsmaid because the handmaids are property. Whose property is the handmaid? And ergo, whose child is that Uh handmaid based purely off of property laws? That's
1: where the paternalism comes in. But legally, in Mm -hmm. terms of, like, world politics, Mm -hmm. the only way he's going to get to have a play at this child is, I mean, genetics is going to have to come into play. So who are the parents? June Mm -hmm. and Nick. Mm -hmm. Nick's... We Nick haven't Spence seen were, much of. Were, and Nick's been regaled to the front lines anyway right. in Chicago. He's on the front so he's lines done in Chicago. Though. We don't know much about where he is otherwise, but I'm assuming that's going to come into play. That has to come into play. Hypothetically, however, looking at,
2: um, looking at pre. Oh, which, by the way, we're recording on uh, Happy Juneteenth, everyone. Juneteenth? Ooh! Juneteenth! Ooh! Which is pretty relevant right now, considering the conversation that we're having. If you had a slave lord that had a child with a slave. And the parentage couldn't be properly proved, the parentage is still going to go to the slave the slave lord, because that's who owns the property. Right. So in the rules of Gilead, I mean, yes, looking at I looking at I looking at uh Canada, right. looking at how they might view parentage, it would be severely different. Mm-hmm. However, looking purely as Gilead, mm-hmm. as the same rules uh, that would apply in uh, in America pre-Juneteenth, yay, Juneteenth. <laughs> The parentage and the, and the DNA doesn't matter nearly as much as the property laws. And at the end of the day, June is property of Joseph is property. At that point, she was of Fred. She was property of the Waterfords. Ergo, any child that she bears would be property of the Waterfords. However,
0: if they did a DNA test, Nick is the dad, and now Nick is the commander...
1: That's what oh, I'm saying. Oh, Like, I feel like Fred's walking into it. He thinks he's got himself a beautiful plan, but it's Fred, and he's going to fuck it up, and he's mm-hmm. going to fuck it up because... That's what Fred does. Well, Fred it, fucks everything it. up. Well, I feel like that's kind of been something we've been ignoring in terms of Fred's perception of things anyway, is we all know, like, I've I've been frustrated with this whole facade of why are we continuing to pretend that Fred is the father? Fred's not the father. Fred is nothing. Serena knows Fred's not the father. June knows Fred's not the father. Fucking Fred knows Fred's not the father and he still does this. <laughs> well, it's
2: the same way that we've been pretending that Serena has any sovereignty over this child whatsoever. Yeah. That Serena is a mother in any aspect other than the fact that she has been responsible for changing diapers and taking care of this baby for the last three months and has an emotional attachment to it. It's right. the exact same thing. Neither of these people have any sort of claim to this child other than other than legal standpoint or an emotional standpoint. But from a purely genetic standpoint, neither of them have any claim to this child and yet the conversation persists. Right.
1: And this is where we'll see where it'll go. It's going to be fascinating to see how this unravels. I'm excited to see the trailer. For next week. So much. I really don't know where they're going to take this story, but genetically, Fred doesn't have a leg to stand on. So Nobody we'll see. He doesn't. Unless Gilead's Gilead doesn't believe care. in you know, DNA. I <laughs> they mean, they already don't, don't believe... believe in science when it's. Yeah, they, they already
0: don't believe that men can be sterile. <laughs> right. <so laughs> why the fuck would
2: DNA come into play? Yeah, but they clearly believe in intel and they have really great intelligence. Fantastic intelligence. Terrible scientific knowledge, though. Absolutely terrible. And Gilead already seems a place that isn't concerned with DNA by the fact that they're not worried about the parentage from a maternal standpoint doesn't matter if the if the wife is the one that birthed the child or not the wife is the one that's the mother So they're less concerned with DNA and more concerned with the moral hierarchy right but of I the think parentage. the
1: world will be more concerned with the moral hierarchy and it'll be interesting to see how it plays out I think we're going to get a view of world politics mm-hmm. and I think we're gonna get a view of how Gilead is, propagandizing is that a word yes yeah. a how they're propagandizing their their life they're gonna make a play for this is our child and it's gonna turn into a very much an ilian gonzalez thing is what it comes yes. down to i think it's really shaping up to be very similar i certainly hope that's what happens because it'll be refreshing well, I to hope see it's not what happens no because ilian gonzalez gets removed at gunpoint <laughs> Valid. And
2: return to Cuba. Well, I hope that it's on Ilian Gonzalez um scenario exactly. But I certainly hope that um that Fred and Serena, thinking that they're doing the right thing and thinking that they're playing the moral high ground, instead get absolutely demolished on yeah. the international arena, showing just how absurd the mentalities of Gilead are.
1: Which, I feel like it's hard to think that they won't I believe it sounds like most of the world is at least on board with the fact that Gilead's kind of fucked up well do we have any interactions with any
2: other um governments other than Canada Mexico Mexico, Mexico was down because they were right.
0: just like well we haven't seen a kid in a while so yeah exactly I feel yeah. bad so you, you give us some handmaids we give you some oranges right. we call it right exactly so right. that's your only but other
2: example that we have is like a trading of goods yeah But I I feel like the
1: rest of the world is... Yeah, I don't know what's going on with Europe. I don't know what's going on with with the rest of the world. But I would guess that Mexico was uncomfortable with it. As Mm, much as they were like, we want a baby, they weren't really on board. Uh, It'll be interesting to see how it all plays out in terms of the world stage Mm -hmm. as far as what Gilead puts forth versus which we know Gilead really is. Right. And I think it's going to come down to that. And I think we're going to look a lot at propaganda, which will be interesting in terms of what's happening with the upcoming election.
2: Absolutely.
0: So on that note, um, we wanted to finish up with something hopeful, Um, just something, you know, to contrast... Some of the other things that have been going on in the country, you know, most notably in the South, and the flyover countries. Sorry, flyover countries. I don't know what else to call you. Okay, Midwest. You're the Midwest. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so from the Providence Journal, uh, out of Rhode Island tonight, this headline, Governor Signs Abortion Rights Bill into Law Following House-Senate Approval. State lawmakers on Wednesday passed, and Governor Gina Raimondo moments later signed into law legislation to preserve the status quo on abortion, in Rhode Island, no matter what the future holds for the historic Roe v. Wade ruling. As defined in the new state law, the status quo means abortions are allowed until the point a fetus could live outside the womb. An abortion would only be allowed later when necessary to preserve the health or life of the pregnant woman. So there are so many great quotes in this article. I circled a bunch of them. I'm going to go through them. It just shows you, you know, the two, the two sides of the issue, because honestly, there really are only two sides of the issue. You're either for or you're against. If you're in between, you're still either for or against. Yeah. And so, Rhode Island is the most Catholic state in the union. Oh, I know. Yep, we are. Rhode Island is so Catholic up in there. They really really are. <laughs> and it's also heavily democratic state, but you also have democrats in this state that are pro-life,
2: what which interesting dichotomy.
0: I thought was very interesting. So, some of the quotes on both sides of the aisle first. Let's talk about what this actually does. Um so the bill that was signed codifies Roe v. Wade, Roe v. Wade in Rhode Island. It preserves the status quo that has existed for about 50 years. The legislation won Senate approval on a 21 to 17 vote after a failed attempt by an anti-abortion advocacy group, Servants of Christ for Life. <sighs> That's how I feel about that. <laughs> <laughs> to a restraining order blocking the passage and subsequent signing of legislation by Raimondo. A superior court judge denied the request. The Senate debate was punctuated by emotional speeches from senators on both sides of the abortion divide, specifically from those raised, as the pregnant Senator Sandra Kano said she was, Catholic and pro-life. "'My faith is very important to me. I believe that life is sacred. However, I also believe that Roe v. Wade is the law of the land and I can't impose my faith on others,' said Kano, a Pawtucket Democrat who ultimately voted for the legislation." Senator Frank Lombardo, Democrat from Johnston, also brought religion into the debate, but in his case, as his reason for voting against the bill, I pray you to do what is right not because you have given your word, not because people are telling you it should be a woman's right to choose. Ouch. Yeah. um, Oh, I'm
2: sorry. We're not allowed to (laughs) have a sovereignty over our choice. It's fine that you agree that we should, but your logic and rationale is a bit skewed. So he says... Do it because we are
0: all children of God, and I tell you, we will all be accountable to God for the position of influence that He has given to all of us. He told his colleagues.
2: Oh, the the piety
0: is oh, the piety. Drippity, dripping. Dripping. However, um, from the Jewish contingent of Rhode Island, we have. Senator Gail Golden, a champion of the Senate version of the legislation. My advocacy for reproductive rights is grounded in my own experience as a woman, as an adoptive parent, and as a religious minority. Judaism recognizes that denying a woman full access to the complete spectrum of reproductive health care, including contraception and abortions, deprives women of their constitutional right to religious freedom. The Reproductive Privacy Act is not only about a constitutional right to privacy, it is also the right
2: to practice my religion without interference from government, she says. And ultimately that is one of the tenets of of the government, is that there should be no interference and no intermingling. Um, there should be a separation exactly. of church and state. And by having this uh, re- this uh, abortion debate at mm-hmm. all, it's showing that there is no independent thought between uh, between religion. Mm-hmm. And state It is a Fourth Amendment
0: right to privacy issue. Exactly. And a story. It, it, this is, you know, all right. of this, you know, denial of access
2: to these services, sorry, it's just unconstitutional. And by showing that you are simply adhering to what you tend to adhere to as a Catholic, a Roman Catholic, mm-hmm. or Christian mentality where you don't kill children and that is it, and you're adhering your uh, your prescribed uh, religion to these laws, mm-hmm. you're amending the fact that you don't want separation of church and state exactly. you want your you church to be the law it of state both ways but you can't have your cake and eat it too no you can't huh. so i guess marie Antoinette was not onto something <laughs> i kind of so cake i, I kind of want to be I head heads, heads of
0: state love some cake i'll just take cake right now i don't even want anything as serious as heads of state i just really like some cake
2: Cake would be nice.
0: So anyway, a longstanding abortion rights supporter, Senator Susan Sosnowski, read an email from an unidentified writer that said, We all know that women of means, and mostly whiteness, will always be able to terminate a pregnancy if they feel it is necessary for their health and safety. It is women in poverty, young and very young women, women of color, women who are aware that they are unable to care for the children they already have, let alone another one. Women who have been raped by family members or brutally raped by strangers are women who need your help. For them, the ability to terminate pregnancy with safety and dignity and compassion is often a lifesaver. I know that from experience. But then this guy, I really love him. Senator Joshua Miller, Democrat from Cranston, says, I believe... What we need to do today is to trust women. Oh, thanks, Josh. Thank you, Senator <laughs> thank Miller. You, Josh, and true the, ally. The, the icing on what is kind of kind of a shitcake, if you look at it from one side. Wednesday began with this tweet from Catholic Bishop Thomas J. Tobin. Mm. Oh, <laughs> Praying fervently today that God will enlighten the minds and hearts of Rhode Island state senators to vote against the horrible, extreme pro-abortion legislation being considered today. For anybody that doesn't know who, Bis- who Bishop Tobin is, he is a highly controversial figure. Um, he is one of the many that turn a blind eye to the rampant pedophilia in the Catholic Church in the Northeast, particularly New England. And just recently, because this guy can't get one fucking thing right if he tried, he tweeted, um, I believe it was on June 1st for Pride Month, uh, to encourage Catholics or basically anybody not to embrace Pride Month because it was harmful to children. Yeah. Oh, the I'm irony. I'm so sorry. Oh, the irony. I'm sorry, but but raping small children and sexually abusing them is not detrimental. And then throwing and you know, and just moving those priests from, you know, parish to parish so they don't get caught. Yeah, totally not harmful no, at all. makes perfect I, fucking sense. I understand sense. that it's that is some aboutism, but just the hypocrisy. Yeah. The hypocrisy is astounding. So to finish up, by then, however, the momentum had already swung the other way in most in the most cat fuck me. All right.
2: In the most Catholic state in the nation. Yep.
0: By then, however, the momentum had already swung the other way in the most Catholic state in the nation. And here we are. Thanks, Rhode Island. Thank you very Thanks. much for
2: setting an example. Yes. Exactly. You can be the most Catholic state in the nation and still respect the sovereignty of women over their own bodies and still respect the fact that Other people's ideals are not going to adhere to your small scope and to not allow your beliefs of a certain religion to interfere with the affairs of the state.
1: Yes, because at the end of the day, abortion care is health care. Women's care is health care. It's all health care. Preach! And that's a wrap.
0: Love us? Hate us? Either way, let us know. We welcome feedback from intels and incels alike. Let us know at the Red Resistance Podcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And don't worry, no matter what you say, we won't let you bastards grind us down. Praise be to Peter Levesque at Heliovox for providing us with the badass instrumental tracks we use for our intro outro music. You can find Peter on SoundCloud under Heliovox. That's H-E-L-I-A-V-O-X. Finally, we're under his eye but never under his thumb, so we'll see you back here next time. <laughs> back.